It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So we got more leaks coming out of the Supreme Court. They're not nearly as egregious as the first leak. The first First leak we saw was, for the first time in history, an initial draft had been released to the public. But this draft on the repealing of or the the overturning of Roe v. Wade was from February. So a lot of people were thinking, look, maybe maybe it will have changed by now. It's certainly going to be a different argument because the justices have weighed in. We now have several conservative clerks telling the Washington Post that the justices who have voted to overturn Roe v. Roe and Casey have not changed their minds. Clarence Thomas says they won't be bullied. And of course, this is resulting in continued outrage and uh, people on the left losing their minds. It's, 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 I gotta be honest, it's very strange to me because all this does is return the issue to the states. It's not a ban on, on abortion. Several states will ban abortion, but these are overwhelmingly Republican states anyway. And the urban liberal women who are freaking out don't live in these places. I just, I understand some of them may and they may be concerned about it. But I just think we're not getting a real argument for the most part from the people screaming no more dating and they're on a sex strike when that's literally what conservatives would prefer in the whole issue. So anyway, the conflict is rising. We have uh, um, a new theory out of NPR that it was actually a conservative justice that leaked the initial draft in order to force the conservative justices to retain that position. Otherwise, it would appear that they were swayed by the public. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the riots and the violence that have happened at these pro-life centers and NGOs. We also have protesters plan on going to more homes of Supreme Court justices, which is <laughs> it's illegal. But, you know, I'll be it. it you guys think anybody's going to get arrested? I really doubt it. And then we have Elon Musk, who said he might die in mysterious circumstances. And then, of course, there's the food shortage and a whole bunch of uh, other stuff like that. So uh, it should be interesting. Joining us to talk about all of this is Daryl Cooper. Do you want to introduce yourself, Daryl? Yeah, my name is Daryl Cooper. As Tim said, I am the host of the Martyr Made podcast and the co-host of The Unraveling with Jocko Willink. live in San Diego, and um, I make podcasts. Right on. What kind of what, what do you what do you normally talk about? Like what's your so Martyr Made is it's a long form history podcast. Episodes that come out every several months. They're three, four, five, sometimes seven hours long. I dig deep into historical topics. Um, sometimes I'll pick one. It'll be a single episode. Like my most recent episode was about Nietzsche and Dostoevsky and how their ideas and biographies kind of have interplay. Uh, but sometimes I'll do seven episodes on the Jonestown cult or six episodes on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, we, before the show, you're talking a little bit about Jonestown. So we, we probably have a lot to talk about because I usually refer to a lot of these people as cultists. <laughs> you know, so we'll talk about that. And uh, thanks for hanging on, man. Thanks we for having got, me. We got Seamus. Seamus of Freedom Tunes. I make cartoons on a channel called Freedom Tunes. If y'all got, if y'all want to, you know, go check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to be uploading a cartoon on Thursday. And yeah, man, this situation is, uh, is hilarious. The idea of like a sex strike as if conservatives huh. are going to hear that go, no, 
Please, anything but that, liberal women. Like, it's so ridiculous. And also, it's really offensive to women to assume that all of their political capital is just having sex. <laughs> like, to, to imply that you view that to be a woman's role in society and what they're good for and the way that they should affect political change is really objectifying. It's it's like men will respond to this, huh. yeah. And all the conservatives are like, we agree with it. Yeah, like stop, they get married. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just double checking, but Lysistrata is the Greek play that was about the women refusing sex to the men so that they would, I think, not go to war or something like mm. that. And it was a comedy. You know, mm. it's just the the entire concept of the society of women not having sex anymore is hilarious. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, it's also blackmail, but we'll see if it works, I guess. I want to show you guys before we get started. Tim got this for me. It's a, it's a note, a $10 note from the Bank of Columbus, Georgia. Before the Federal Reserve existed, mm. states used to issue their own currency. Well, ba- that's or a it's bank. actually a national. Yeah, this a, is a national that's currency a, issued by a bank. Yeah, so I was at a collector's shop and the guy said, this is pre-Federal Reserve money. And I was like, oh, I got to get that for you. <laughs> he said the magic words. <laughs> yeah, Pre-Federal said. Reserve. Yeah. Well, hey, good to see you. And I'm also here in the corner pushing buttons. I just wanted to weigh in on this conversation about a possible sex strike. And I think that these ladies are using this as an excuse to pretend that they're getting laid. I don't believe any of them are actually getting any. That's my two cents. Well, as an aside, there's a meme from conservatives where it's like the woman going on a sex strike. And it's a bunch of like frumpy, purple haired women. Yeah. And it says the woman not going on strike. And it's a bunch of like busty Trump supporting women. So I mean, <laughs> look, look, last time I brought this up, the Young Turks were very offended, but then confirmed what I said was true. Conservatives tend to be more attractive than liberals, according to multiple studies. That's right. That doesn't mean every conservative doesn't mean every liberal. They're attractive lefty women. They're attractive conservative women. But it's a tendency among both males and females. And uh, the Young Turks are really mad at me for saying it. And then while they made fun of me and called me ugly, they confirmed everything I said. So <laughs> that's there you go. And I just want to mention one thing as an, as an aside, too. Every so often, I'll have a cheat day where everybody wants to go out to eat. And the food options are, you know, grainy or sugary. But I'm like, it's no big deal. It's Mm. like, you know, I've been eating really well all month. And then I'll have that one day where I'll eat something sugary and I'll eat something with bread in it. And then I just feel like someone smacked me in the face with a with a plank of wood. They call it cheating for a reason because you're not supposed to do it. It like Hmm? it actually just feels miserable after doing it. And I'm, I'm experiencing it right now because we went out to eat for Mother's Day and I was like, we got to get the best of the best and the, and the fancy desserts. And now I'm just like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> so anyway. I read an article one time that said that that's actually scientifically good for you. And I don't know if it's true, but I was like, I'm going with that. <laughs> a, a cheat day? Yeah. Well, I guess the idea is that you, you get – you overload so you get everything you might be missing. So I think I was actually uh, low on iron. Ian mentioned Oh, I think I'm low on iron. Yeah. Iron's so big. So I, I was like, oh, yeah, because I, I didn't eat a steak for a while. So I was like – because I was eating eggs and bacon. We actually have cast iron pans. You're supposed to cook in your cast iron pan mm. to get more iron in your diet, I've heard. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, head over to TimCast.com. Become a member to help support our work. We have brought on a couple new uh, opinion writers and journalists. As of recently, we got the redheaded libertarian who's been writing, and Josie has been writing up really amazing stuff. You definitely want to check this out because she wrote something really interesting on property rights of slavery and abortion. It makes an interesting point that uh, arguably people who believe in abortion after the second trimester would probably not have been abolitionists, which is interesting because we, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in, in the arguments. But if you become a member, you're helping to support our writers, our columnists. And you will get access to exclusive segments of this show Monday through Thursday at 11 p.m. These are the uncensored and not family-friendly versions of the show where people are like, wow, you guys kind of go over the top on that. But it's really, let's just call it candid swearing, you know, (laughs) brutal conversations. And don't forget to smash that like button. 
Subscribe to this channel. Share the show with your friends. Let's jump into this first story we have from Mediaite. Washington Post obtains new leaks from Supreme Court revealing conservative justices are holding the line. Not just that, Chief Justice John Roberts appears to have lost control and Clarence Thomas may now actually be in, in more control. We don't know exactly. We don't know exactly. There's only a couple leaks. The first leak was the initial draft. But check this out. Mediaite says, oddly, the article itself appears to include another leak, which is clearly reported to have come from conservatives close to the court who, of course, spoke on the condition of anonymity. The sources are said to have told reporters about private conversations between Roberts and his fellow jurists as far back as early December. They say, the leaked draft opinion is dated in February and is almost surely obsolete now, as justices have had time to offer dissents and revisions. But as of last week, the majority of five justices to strike Roe remains intact, according to three conservatives close to the court who, like others, spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss a sensitive matter. So we don't know who these people are. Clearly someone who knows what's going on in the court, presumably a clerk. They say a person close to the most conservative members of the court said Roberts told his fellow jurists in private conference in early December he planned to uphold the state law and write an opinion that left Rowan Casey in place for now. But the other conservatives were more interested in an opinion that overturned the precedents, the person said. A spokeswoman for the court declined to comment, and messages extended to justices were, were unreturned. Also, according to the Washington Post, they said it seems that Clarence Thomas was the one who, who, who instructed Alito to draft the majority opinion. And Alito has always been in favor of uh, restrictions on abortion and opposing Roe v. Wade. So it looks like Roberts was trying to get the conservatives to side with upholding Roe v. Wade. And they basically said, nope, nope. Absolutely not. So, Thank goodness. Well, so is this is, is this bad? Let, let, let me let me show you the, 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 the big point of the story. The Hill, regurgitating an NPR story, says the leading theory on the SCOTUS leak is a conservative clerk. Hmm. And the argument is with Justice John Roberts trying to get the, these other conservative justices to uphold Roe v. Wade, a conservative clerk released the draft opinion to force them to stick to it because if they change their opinion now it'll look like they were swayed by public opinion what do you guys think i mean if npr said it i'm gonna say probably not true i think that if you're leaking supreme court documents that's probably a federal offense Mm -hmm. yeah exactly i mean regardless this is a serious um this is a serious breach of ethics i don't care who did it or why we need to find them and we need to punish them yeah what do you think there seems like part of a larger trend uh, toward just undermining all of our institutions, mm-hmm. right? And all of the customs and ways of doing things that have kind of been the glue and sinews that have held things together over all this time, right? The United States is a country, we, we got all types of people here, you know, from every continent on the planet, every religion, every every race, everything. People who believe that all different types of ways of life are, you know, the most appropriate way to live. And you hold that together by by a thread and that thread is those traditions and customs and those institutions that we use to moderate our conversations with one another and if we lose those things we're going to lose everything i saw this uh leftist meme post where they said republicans are trying to burn the country down and destroy all of its institutions and i thought to myself that is absolutely accurate 100 percent the institutions that have been taken over by the left the, the conservatives are absolutely intent on on on, on taking down like public education, the Department of Education, colleges. So um, if you think about it in terms of what we value as as constitutional constitutionalists, 
when I hear that, the constitutionalist part of me says, that's ridiculous. The left has been gutting and destroying everything. They're the ones stripping the Bill of Rights and blah, blah, blah. But I don't, I don't, I don't want to just be you know, overtly biased. I was like, well, what institutions are they talking about? I'm like, oh, yeah, the universities. Yeah, definitely. Cultural institutions. Oh, you bet. They've been completely taken over. So I think conservatives would love to see the universities falter. Well, but when we're talking about courts, when we're talking about the rule of law, that's that's absolutely not true. It's the left that's doing that, in my opinion. And there's two different layers to institutions, right? There's there's Harvard University, and then there's education in the United States. Or there's the Washington Post, but then there's journalism, which is an institution. Right. And they certainly want to burn the Washington Post and Harvard, you know, Harvard down. Um, but I, I think that in their minds, at least, conservatives want to do that so that they can get back. Well, this is, this is it's a really interesting point. The left, I think, looks at the, the, the brick-and-mortar structure as the institution, and the right views the concept as the institution. A, a just court is an institution. To the left, the Supreme Court is the institution, the court itself, the building itself. Well, I think the left knows that they're going to be able to intimidate people into doing their bidding by going after the actual physical location. So you look at the fact that they are genuinely trying to intimidate Supreme Court justices. And I think that when you look at the the behavior of the right, there is no comparison between the right and the left in terms of how much rioting has occurred. I mean, the left, it's their go-to. As soon as this information got leaked, we know they were going to be threatening. We knew they were going to be threatening violence immediately. I feel like oh, yeah. the, the locations are points of vulnerability within the within the institutions. And, like, we put so much faith and trust in, in these people at these institutions, like the president of Harvard or the Supreme Court justices, that if they get tweaked or, or bribed or something, the entire – or if they leak something, the entire system falters. The, in social media um, administration, we have a thing called trustless systems where you don't have to trust that someone has your back or that someone's going to make the right choice. The system is in plain view. Everyone knows what's happening. It's automatic. Uh, and I think maybe that our government needs trustless systems as well. I think, uh, you know, just going back to my point, how the institutional, uh, the, the establishment left and many on the left view the, the existing structure as an institution, like the Washington Post is the institution of journalism, whereas the right wants to restore the actual institution of journalism. And I think those are different worldviews where if you can understand how many on the left or liberals or, or Democrats think, you'll better understand what their arguments are. That, that, that was kind of my point when they said the right's trying to destroy our institutions. It's like, well, think, what, what, what must they mean? Harvard University, not education. They, they like their, their, you know, archaic structures. But I think, you know, for us who believe in freedom and liberty, we, we like the idea of education. And education can come from anywhere. For me, came from going online and reading free information from various, you know, uh, professors or news outlets and not formal education. Yeah, I don't think they're trying to destroy the system of education system, but maybe the public schooling system that Dewey set up in like the early 1900s where they're creating these like factory workers and, and war basically soldiers are getting people ready to raise their hand and only speak when they're spoken to. I think a lot of people are done with that. They want school choice. They want to learn online. You know, Phoenix University was really groundbreaking in the early 2000s, I think it was. You get your degree online. There's a basic difference between the way conservatives and progressives approach politics in general. The way, like the down to the level of what they think the purpose and point of politics is. Right? To a progressive, I mean, it's built into their name, and this is true of liberals as well. Just that the purpose of politics is to get us somewhere. That there are certain things that either need to be fixed or improved or achieved, whatever it is. And the purpose of politics is our means of coming together to achieve or fix or, or these things. 
And conservatives don't see it that way. Conservatives have a much more tragic view of history. They look around and say, "This we're not, we're not going to some final destination in America. The goal of politics, you know, politics is, is, is much more like uh, relations between family members to conservatives. That the point of this is to make sure that we're all still friends tomorrow. That's the only point to politics is to make sure that we are all still friends tomorrow and that we can come together to like deal with things as they arise. And, you know, you're going to get very different uh, approaches to institutions when that's the case, right? Progressives can look at it and say the point here is to get to that place where this social justice aim is achieved or whatever it is. And if a, if an institution seems to be slowing that down, scorched earth. I mean, that institution yeah. is in the way, whereas a conservative says, no, 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 that maintaining that institution's credibility so that we're not all killing each other tomorrow instead of working through our institution. That's the point. I was thinking about that, too. I was like... uh there's got to be rules that we all agree to play by, but that doesn't apply to the progressive worldview. The progressive worldview has been, and and I'll just throw it to the late David Graeber, where I started to think about these ideas when he said that elements of the left have embraced the fascistic tenet, there is no truth but power. And you take a look at what many on the right would call a double standard, and James Lindsay, I think it's James Lindsay, he said, there is no double standard. If it's good for the revolution, it's good. If it's bad for the revolution, it's bad. That's that. That's how you end up seeing contradictory concepts like you must be vaccinated regardless of your own body and abortion, my body, my choice. They then act like conservatives are the hypocrites when in reality they just don't know what conservatives are arguing. Whereas conservatives are outright saying it's not your body, it's the other body. Address from the argument from that point if you want to have a conversation, but they're not. So, you know, ultimately, I think for me, I, I wonder what are the rules to the, to the to the system we're in so that I can make sure we don't come at each other and go nuts, right? And it doesn't seem like it matters because the rules for, as you pointed out, for the progressives is to accomplish their social justice goals, social justice goals where everyone else is kind of, uh, for the most part, conservatives. But I think, you know, whatever the two factions really end up being, libertarian or otherwise, is um, how do we live together and survive this this catastrophe, I guess. Yeah, I definitely think there's truth in what you're saying. The left has a much more Hegelian approach to their view of history. They see it as this this process and the structure that is building towards its ultimate end. And even that, I think like from a, you know, a metaphysical Christian worldview, there's truth in, but I think conservatives, as you have said, do have this more tragic view of history. It's more or less, we are teetering on the brink. It's not as if we are just guaranteed that tomorrow is going to be better than today. This could all fall off if we try to change the system in, in the wrong way. I want to pull up this story here we have from WUSA 9. Group to hold vigil outside Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito's, Alito's home in response to potential Roe v. Wade overturn. The group plans to host a vigil near Alito's home starting at 7.30 p.m., blah, blah, blah. A vigil! Oh, a vigil! Oh. So they already went to Kavanaugh's house, which is illegal. And now they're going to Alito's house, uh, which is illegal. But don't worry, it's a vigil. Mm-hmm. Well, Not a protest, a vigil. So the law says, the uh, the U.S. Code you cannot parade or picket in front of a judge's house. I'm simplifying it, but I think it makes sense. The court precedent or the legal precedent is that due process and justice supersedes your right to free speech. Because without those processes, you can't have free speech. So in this instance, people should not be going to the homes of these justices. But uh, anyone want to take a bet as to when or if any of these people will get charged with any kind of crime? 
Shaking your head already, everybody. Well, let, let me tell you, if any of them do get, uh, if any of them do get charged, we're going to see politicians tweeting out the link to the GoFundMe <laughs> to get them bailed out. Yeah. So this is a vigil. The definition is uh, the act of keeping awake at times when sleep is customary. So they're just going to go sit and stay awake all night outside his house. No, they're screaming. If they're screaming, then it's <laughs> it's a protest. Right, right, right. It's it's semantic games, manipulation. Yeah, exactly. They don't. Well, we already know that Jen Psaki has no negative words to say about these protesters. She's like, well, people sometimes feel very passionate. Like, she d- oh, yeah, they felt passionate on January 6th, and you have a very different view of that. Well, I mean, there's a uh, January 6th is different from showing up to someone's house, but showing up to someone's house is, is overt terror. Worse in against, some ways. Worse in some ways, in yeah. many ways, actually. But Jen Psaki did walk this back. She came out, and she was like, she tweeted... It's, it's probably not even her. It's like some intern tweeting, like sent out a message. And she was just like, violence can never be tolerated and people should feel safe. It's like, I, I missed the part, Jen, where you included don't go to to the homes of these justices, which they're doing. So I think uh, I was I was talking about this earlier. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A lot of people say it's worse now than it's ever been. But then people like to point out the assassination attempts... <clears throat> of the past and the weather underground, you know, the weathermen and the bombings and stuff and the death. I think back then we had acute spikes of, of, uh, political extremism. And today we have a low consistent rumbling of extremism, which is worse. It's death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. The way I explain it is if we in the past had an assassination attempt, that would be like someone taking a pickaxe, pickaxe to the hull of your ship. Boom. They punch a hole in it. The water's spraying through and you're like, quick, we better patch this hole up. And everyone panics and you rush and you patch the hole up. Today, it's a thousand small holes Mm. and you can't patch them up fast enough. It is death by a thousand cuts. So this low level rumbling that is affecting every level of government that's consistent. I mean, I'll put it this way. I've been saying for how long tensions are escalating, potential civil war or strife or whatever, some kind of some kind of hyperpolarization than geographic polarization. And then we get a story about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. When I even said before the story came out, that I think abortion could be a catalyst for another civil war. And not just me, Stephen Marsh said it. He's the guy who wrote the book, The Next Civil War. And now, sure enough, it drops. They're going to overturn it. They're holding firm with the latest leaks. People are already starting to protest in front of justices' homes. Law students are defying the idea of the sanctity of the court. Mm. How could we... How are we going to pull this together and get past this in any meaningful way? It's really hard to reestablish deterrence once it's been lost, right? And that deals like in the international arena with military strategy, whether it's law enforcement or just basic norms and ethics. Once one side, you know, it's like that, it's like that driver that everybody hates who just kind of realizes that I can actually just cut everybody off and I can just cut across traffic and make turns as long as I don't get caught by a car. It might be inconveniencing everybody else, but I'm going to get to where I want to go quicker than anybody else. And he realizes maybe on some level that if everybody started doing that, then nobody's getting anywhere that they're trying to go. But he knows that the good faith of those other people means that they're not going to do it. So he can get away with it and he gets there. And once you have kind of allowed that to metastasize and become normal for certain people or even, you know, it can can spread. I mean, the real frightening thing that people have been talking about for a long time 
is that what happens when the right starts acting this way? Now they have a, you know, there there are reasons that they wouldn't I- I- ideologically maybe. There are also obviously we see January sixth. There are law enforcement reasons why they wouldn't do it. They get treated very differently. But if they just decided to ignore that stuff and they started responding to things violently and they started showing up to judges' homes they didn't like, at that point, you've lost control. Of, yeah. and, and the only way to regain control is to probably use an, a pretty extraordinary amount of force because you have a bunch of people who don't think that you're going to do it. it would, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that could solve it. If the, the federal government or law enforcement cracks down on the left and the right— it would just exacerbate the hyperpolarization. So you have January 6th. It's bad. I mean, people should not have rioted. Mm. The people who mindlessly trespassed when the cops opened the door for them shouldn't, shouldn't have, in my opinion, been charged because these are the MAGA Mimas. Already, one guy got his, his, his charges dropped because the judge was like, the cops let you in. What am I supposed to do about that? There's going to be a lot more like that, but there are a lot of violent people who should be charged. So, so that's bad. You're, you see people who are, are facing solitary confinement, people who have been locked up for over a year for this. Then you look at the left. You had the insurrection on January 20th, 2017, where hundreds of people were running through the streets, smashing things, starting fires, burnt, torched a limousine. These people not only were had their charges dropped, the city was forced to pay out to them in a lawsuit. Now, you can chalk up a lot of this to the fact that they've been Organized, the left has, has organizational power and collectivist power they've been dealing with for a long time. But when you see the FBI agents going to Bubba Wallace's, I think it was, this is his name, right? The, the NASCAR guy over a garage pole yeah. rope. Yeah. And, but, but, but then you see these people showing up to judges' homes and there's no law enforcement action or the people who, who, uh, you know, were throwing firebombs at federal buildings, some of which have been charged, mind you, but many, uh, charged, but many who haven't. It is lopsided. The right gets angry and says, we have no justice. If the right starts acting out, which they did on January 6th, and then the boot comes down on them, which it did, you can, you, what, what you have done is you have struck through the heart confidence in the American system. If there is no justice for me, then what's the point of participation? Yeah, well, and so you mentioned that there were certain individuals there who basically had the doors open for them by the police. They walked through. I think a, a large section of the country knows that at this point. They also know that there were people who didn't engage in any kind of misconduct of any sort who were put on trial. So, for example, we have uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a fantastic example who was, I believe they were trying to smear her as an insurrectionist and actually get her charged so that she could not run in her state. So the idea is to get people who would otherwise protest peacefully or be involved in, you know, trying to bring about civic change to just stay home so long as they have a certain perspective. And of course, that perspective is a conservative one. I want to bring up this uh, op-ed from over at TimCast.com from Josie, the redhead libertarian. She writes, if you're pro-abortion after viability and ever wondered if you would have been an abolitionist, I have some bad news for you. Mm. She makes an interesting point about uh, Roe v. Wade and, and Casey and that basically Roe actually did entertain the conversation around viability. Quote, as, this is from the, from Roe v. Wade. As we have intimated above, it is reasonable and appropriate for a state to decide that at some point in time, potential human life becomes significantly involved. The woman's privacy is no longer sole, and any right of privacy she possesses must be measured accordingly. And according to Roe, the 14th's right to privacy clause is not absolute regarding pregnancy. Although the results are divided, most of these courts have agreed that the right of privacy, however based, is broad enough to cover the abortion decision. 
that the right, nonetheless, is not absolute and is subject to some limitations. And that at some point, the state's interests as to protection of health, medical standards, and prenatal life become dominant. We agree with this, with this approach. Josie writes, so once again, according to Roe, we have a clear understanding that a baby is a baby at viability, and it's fair for states to regulate proposed termination if they so choose. We also have a clear understanding, thanks to Roe, that a mother's personhood may not be absolute at that point in some states, and it's fair for states to regulate proposed termination of a baby if they so choose. Roe had limited abortion in the first trimester, but thanks to Planned Parenthood v. Casey, that part of Roe was overturned. So states can already do what they want, barring absolute bans of the practice. Emotional arguments aside, this is an extreme, unpopular, and highly unlikely outcome, no matter how many legislators co-sponsor the bill. In terms of property rights, historically, people in some states rejected the idea that they did not have ownership over another human, even when the laws in other states said, yes, this person is a human here. When they believed a separate human belonged to them, that this separate human was less than human, and that they could do with that human as they pleased, but uh, by no hyperbole, that was slavery. Here's my here's my, my thoughts on this. We mentioned last week, almost as, as far, almost every instance I can think of, when there has been an attempt to expand personhood, constitutional rights to a group of people, that is ultimately played out. And we've seen that actually with the trans argument. States across the country are now entertaining uh, gender identity as a protected class. Even at the federal level, in many ways, they're doing it. So this happens. Why would babies be the one exception to this tendency throughout history? In which case, it seems that the only likely outcome is going to be abortion becoming banned based on the historical trends. I mean, it's it's gender as a protected class is a slippery slope because you can if someone's able to choose their gender at will and then gain a protection of some sort legally, that's complete insanity. So I don't know. That's what's I think, happening. I think if is, we're talking about viability, baby viability, and as viability is getting less and less, it's getting shorter and shorter. Like now a five-month-old baby can be born into an incubator and live there for three months and then as it matures. But if the – I don't know if that's really considered viability because if the plug comes out, then the baby dies and like so. – Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. It's um, if the baby can survive independent of a mother. I mean there are people who – their kidneys fail and they need dialysis, but they're still considered viable human beings. So the, the issue is, as technology progresses, viability will extend all the way to day one, I'd imagine, eventually. In fact, day zero, we'll probably be able to... We've already grown, I think, sheep in bags. So certainly the same could be done for humans. It's just an ethical question of, you know, not we should not do that. So I think we're... That's, that's, that's like a step of like, they might start harvesting women's eggs in ovulation because they are viable. That's crazy, psycho. You can't do that. Well, an well egg no, there's is, a, yeah, there's a difference between an egg and a zygote. Like, right? They cannot allow it to. Well, the difference is it's unfunfertilized, but it doesn't mean yeah. It's but not, once not, the sperm enters human. and you have like a completely unique set of human DNA, I don't think that there's anyone who argues. The only people who argue that an egg cell is equivalent to a, a zygote are pro-choicers who are trying to straw man pro-lifers. Mm. What about like birth birth control? Why is the church so against birth control? Uh, because the purpose of human sexuality is unity and procreation and birth birth control perverts one of those purposes it's not because there is an act of murder which occurs which is the uh which is what we see with abortion it's for very different reasons so when we talk about viability i'm just concerned about the technological aspect of the viability Mm. i get it like if the mom's not around the baby's gonna die until it's like 11 you know baby a child can't take care of itself but but if you're talking about a breathing machine that's a different story but i think i think this question of viability plays exactly into what i was thinking last week with the inevitability of abortion being banned if technology progresses to the point where a baby is viable the moment of conception, 
through an artificial womb. And there's a question in the, in, in actually in Roe about at what point viability makes this life form a person under the constitution and worthy of protection. If their initial assessment was, well, by the second trimester, you've got, you got a baby with a heartbeat and a brain and all that stuff. So it's, it's rights are now in, in play here. Well, then if the baby is viable from day zero, the moment of conception, then why would we ever allow abortion? Mm-hmm. At that point, one tech, once technology gets to that point, it seems like, I'll put it this way. The question of trans rights only exists because of the invention, the iso- the isolation of hormones. Before we actually knew what hormones were and how to get them, there, there were people who identified as trans, but there was no hormone replacement therapy. Now that we have that, we have a question constitutionally about how far this can go. And ultimately, we're seeing states starting to enact gender identity pr- protections. Technology is going to do the same thing for human life in terms of abortion. I think the end result is abortion gets banned. Mm-hmm. I've, al- I've always fantasized about some future scenario where they actually isolate the gay gene, the gene that makes you a homosexual, and then conservatives start aborting all their gay babies. <laughs> and then you have all the people on the left actually coming out and protesting against abortion and trying to ban it. That would be interesting. I, I honestly, I don't think conservatives would do that. I don't either. Yeah, I don't. Or is there, there's not actually a gay gene, I don't think. No. Uh, I'm, I don't I'm, I'm, I'm living yes. a fantasy. Spitball. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah. Hey, I, uh, I've been <laughs> workshopping this theory, and you guys are welcome to disagree with me. But one of the reasons that human infants are born and it's so difficult is because their heads are huge. And the reason that they're born so early is because unlike baby giraffes and baby elephants, we don't just get squeezed out on the savannah and start running immediately because we have huge brains. This is part of the reason why you could potentially argue that a three-year-old child is not viable because if you leave a three-year-old child to its own devices it will die in relatively short order it will starve it's unable to feed itself or whatever or, yeah. or be raised by wolves oh yeah exactly i mean that's, that's right. possible it's, it's happened yeah, exactly no and start uh, start a, a city called yeah. rome, rome or something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, i also viability is a very bizarre way of determining when a person should get rights for a number of reasons but i think most importantly because one of the entire, like, if not almost the entire reason that we recognize rights politically is to protect the weak from the strong. So the more vulnerable a person is, the more necessary it is to extend rights to them. So to look at viability and say they're actually particularly vulnerable at this point, so we're not going to extend the right to life to them is completely self-defeating. It's a luxurious way of looking at it in like tribal society, old war society. The most vulnerable will be killed off immediately because they're going to hold the tribe back and get it killed. Exactly. Their rights were not recognized, but we don't want to live in a society where somebody is killed because they're quote unquote holding us back or because they require more resources or because they can't produce as much. And Ian, this is not Sparta. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it like a Spartan, too. It's know, madness. I, I couldn't. I, I, well, you, you can't do it aggressively because the joke is that it's not Sparta. <laughs> yeah. This is not Sparta. We don't put our children. What, what, the baby would be born like put in the woods yes. for yeah, like a day. And if it didn't survive, like it was weak. I guess viability maybe is can the baby breathe on its own? After you suction out its lungs, can it just lay there and there are breathe? People with, there are people with no lungs. There are people who have lung damage and they get put on special machines. They're, so like for a healthy baby, not for a def, not for one with a deformity no, 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 or something, no, no. but like you a healthy, fully formed I don't, baby, at what stage of its gestation can it start to breathe on its own? There there are there are people who are born um, missing certain vital organs and we, we find ways for them to survive and live. But th- those are the – um, I mean specifically for like healthy term babies that are five months I, or four I, months. At I what don't point, think that's – I don't think you can define viability based on that criteria. If, well, if you have like a, a loved one on a machine and they can't breathe, you can pull the plug. 
And if you have a guy with a pacemaker or you have someone with uh, with insulin shots, like, come on, they're, 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 that's not an argument. There are, there are diabetic people who have insulin pumps, Bluetooth, with tubes going into their bellies, mm-hmm. and that machine is keeping them alive. Well, they can make the choice for themselves. It's the people that can't make what either about, their what about brain— what Babies about, and brain people that have brain no brain basically they can't choose for themselves so other people have to decide are they going to pull the plug other people decide are they going to abort the thing I, I just I don't think you can define vi- I don't think viability is a criteria for rights or anything like that I just don't see it well that's I mean you can pull the plug on someone that's in in a vegetable state vegetative you can pull state. the plug on a diabetic you, if they're unconscious maybe no no a six year old does not get insulin. You've got to provide it to them and make sure you're the one. I think that's murder. If you Wait, if what? you so, if you don't give your six year old it's it's insulin and it dies. I if mean, you, you have get, if you have a baby on a ventilator, you shut the ventilator off. That's murder. If it what can't, if it doesn't have brain access, it can't make that decision. So someone else a has to do it. A six year old can't make the decision either. Well, technically they can. They have brain activity. I'm but, just talking about people without brain activity or like babies in the womb that, where you can't communicate with there them. There are people who experiences loss of uh, brain function and go into comas for very long periods of time and they recover. So it's like the if you unplug them, you're killing them. And and the challenge morally is that sometimes we're like, is this person going to recover? And people have to make a hard decision about whether we say it's time or it's not. And the scary thing is sometimes after long periods of time, years, people do recover. So do you want to be the person pulling the plug? But my point is it's legal to pull the plug in those situations. When, and when right. if it's someone that's healthy, it's not legal to have them killed. Okay, that's a good And an unborn I, child I, is healthy and they're developing. They're just not at a stage of development where they can make choices. So, so te- that's a different scenario. So in, in, the, in the environment of if they're taken out of the mm-hmm. womb at four and a half months, they're not going to be healthy. But if, we, if you removed them from well, the womb, yeah, I mean, they could be per- they're perfectly healthy at that stage of development. But, and, yeah, but relative to their environment. Them, but, and that's also part of why you can't remove them. I mean, you can't remove someone from an environment where they're perfectly healthy and, sit there and say, you know what, I'm not going to give you the treatment that you need given the fact well, that I just stripped no, no, you no, from no. the environment that's good for you. I think the legal argument would then be, oh, you can remove them so long as you replace 100% right. with what you've taken from them. Right. So if we get to the point technologically where a baby can at whatever stage, be it one week, two weeks, or even one day, be placed in an artificial womb, I think the termination of the baby becomes illegal outright. Now, abortion in some sense, like the removing of the baby from the woman, I think becomes overtly legal at all stages at that point because then the baby will always survive. Right. I, I truly believe if they do that one day one, you can take it out and put it in a machine that it's going to lead to people harvesting eggs and saying you cannot ovulate. It is illegal for you to ovulate. Oh, no, come on, man. Now that, that's that's absurd. I know it. It sounds absurd, but well, the CCP what would the does stuff like that. What well, I mean, yeah, maybe the CCP might do crazy stuff. Like, like that. if we start legislating, they, they have the to America. give this one day old thing to the to the to the world, and then like, why not day zero? Why not day negative one? Because the point would be when life begins at conception. But those eggs are alive. They're just not human fertilized. They're yet. not. But it's, the, it's living tissue. It's it's when when an egg is fertilized again. When a, when a man loves a woman. <laughs> yes. Right? Life begins at conception. An egg is, is, is a component of the creation of life, but it is not the life. Well, it's a, li- it's a, it's a piece of living meat or whatever it is. It's the egg itself. If, I don't know what it's composed zero, of. I think the question is there's no potential. There's no potential life. So That's what it is, is potential life. No, only when it meets with <clears throat> the sperm and then it becomes then it's kinetic fertilized. life. So, like, I got eggs from the chickens. They sit on the shelf until they rot and explode. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no potential there unless they're fertilized. Oh, I disagree. And I, even if they're fertilized, they require specific conditions. But anyway, let's, 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 let's move on. It's, I, I think we'll just, I mean, Daryl, what, what do you think? I, I, you've been listening. Well, I think this is an, obviously an incredibly complex moral question, right? Which is why the, I, I think the conservative perspective on this is not to seek a maximalist position trying to ban abortion or drive it back to the first day after fertilization. 
but to recognize the complexity of it, recognize that there are probably irreconcilable views that people are going to have, and uh, allow Alabama and New York to have different abortion laws that they work out through the discourse in their democratic processes. You know, it's, I think it's, it's going back to the idea of like conservative, the, the way conservatives look at politics as something that is, that, that we engage in to make sure that we all wake up tomorrow and we're not killing each other. I think that's the, in that sense, the conservative way of, way of approaching it. I mean, because you know, we, like, if, if the way humans gave birth was a woman got fertilized and then the egg like popped out and then you put it in a plastic bag in the fridge and then it grew into a human. Like after that, that was just how humans, you know, evolved, say, to, uh, then we wouldn't allow abortion at all. You, you would have it there in the bag that came out the first day and we'd be like, you know, no, you can't flush that thing down the toilet. We'll take it or whatever. And, but you can't, you can't do that to it. This question only becomes really relevant because you're dealing with a very real rights claim you know a woman's right to control what goes on with her body that is a uh, however anybody feels about abortion you, know, you have lots of people i think li- libertarian types maybe who uh, are anti-abortion but they're very like they, they want to end the drug war because they think that a person wants to put something into their body then they should be able to it's it's bodily autonomy it's a, it's a real argument that you know that that conservatives i think have have more recently done a better job of of dealing with but it's something that you know it does have to be dealt with. I mean, you're you're, you're talking about uh, you know just basic basic rights when you're talking about somebody's ability to control what happens with their body. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I want to I want to jump to this uh, this post here from our good friends over at 2X Chromosomes on Reddit. A top post says, delete your dating apps. No more women on dating apps is the only language men speak. Plus, the less time you spend on Tinder, the more time you can spend protesting at the courthouse. Edit. To all men coming on here crying about how you're against this, of course you are. That's the point. F off. You know what I love about this? The kind of guy that's going to go to these women and be like, please don't leave the dating app. But I'm 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 for uh, abortion. Like I'm an you. ally. I'm an ally. It's like I'm a good guy. They're they're just angering their own side. These these men who are doing what they want. 
Meanwhile, conservatives are like, no, wait, don't. Don't delete your dating apps. Well, it, I mean, look, it just goes to show you that, like, feminists don't like male feminists either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who does? Who does? No, but I think it's funny that this is the consistent argument. So we have uh, this one post says, I deleted mine a while ago, but before this leak, I was just starting to consider trying again. Nope, effort. I'll stick to a vibrator in my imagination. Mr. Buzzy can't get me pregnant, can't <laughs> lie about not having an STI and doesn't care if I also see Mr. Rabbit or look at a Hitachi at the store. Yo, this is, there's, there's, what's the right word? I don't want to say they're crazy, but they're kind of crazy to not understand the nuance in what's happening here, that they can, they, they don't know what conservatives think about this. They've probably never even spoken to someone who is anti-abortion about what's really going on and why they think it. And the fact that these women probably live in blue states. I'm just, I genuinely do not understand it. I don't, I don't believe they actually know what they're arguing for or against. Do you think that's what they're doing outside the Supreme Court Justice Houses? They're like deleting Tinder. They're like, ah, we're not. <laughs> they're like, look, look Kevin, now you're not going to see me. You're going to be able to swipe, delete. <laughs> I don't, there are so many examples of the left circling back and coming back to traditional like social positions through like a back door. You know, I, I remember a few months ago, I was listening to Jordan Peterson interview this child psychologist from Canada. Apparently, he's a he's a big wig. He won like the Nobel Prize of child psychology or whatever. And he was uh, he he deals with um, like designing state interventions for uh, children in disadvantaged homes and studies like how this affects their antisocial behavior, their violent behavior, and stuff as they get older. And so he's describing how all these different programs would work, and he's describing this one in the middle. He says, so what we'll do is we'll have a social worker that'll come into the house, you know, of a single mother who maybe, do, you know, doesn't have any experience, doesn't know, really know, like, how to handle certain things when the kid does this or does that, how they're trying to communicate. And the social worker will be there who has this experience who can kind of tell them, like, oh, this is what the kid is trying to do and, like, kind of walk them through these processes. And Peterson kind of pauses for a minute. And he goes, well, that sounds like a grandmother. And it's like then I realized everything he had been describing were just bureaucratic replacements for all of the things that have been lost over the last several decades. And that was one of them. And this is kind of, it just sort of happens that way. Well, have you, I, I want to mention there's also an additional component to this. You're correct that the left will end up in a roundabout way rediscovering some form of social conservatism or traditionalism. And then at that point, the right starts defending whatever it is the left was pushing for 50 years ago. And so historically, before we just had these like isolated nuclear families, people did tend to live with their older relatives, their older aunts or uncles or, you know, parents were still living with them, helping them with the children. And now we're at a point where people are putting their father or mother in a nursing home when it's when it's unnecessary just because they don't want to deal with them. And they're calling themselves pro-family conservative. Have you seen now what the far right is pushing? This is how it's here. They want this, 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 this insane meme of rejecting modernity and returning to tradition. You're going to be shocked by mm. what I'm going to show you. In a tweet from Jack Posobiec, oh. he says, remember what they took from you. <laughs> and this right, shocking image, <laughs> it's Pizza Hut no. and the Pac-Man machine, Book It, the Red Cups, cups. the little dinosaurs, <laughs> Care Bears, the, the Pizza bar. Hut lamp. So Jack has been going on this, what is it, Pizza Hut nationalism thing? He loves Pizza Hut. Where it's like Weird. Pizza Hut used to be great. <laughs> And now it's he, he, basically uh, I'm kidding, by the way, about the far right you know stuff. The uh, oh, the weird pizza claymation or whatever it was. He was t- telling a story how how he went. He took his kids to Pizza Hut 
because he remembered what it was like when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and it was just trash. Mm-hmm. There was garbage everywhere. It was messy. It was like, what is this? And, you know, for, I'll say he's obviously joking to, to qu- quite a bit, but there is a bit of truth into what he's saying, that there were things that we had that were nice, that are now gone, that have fallen apart. And you mentioned it was a bureaucratic replacement. Uh, Daryl, you're talking about a grandmother and the state's replacement. I kind of feel like that's where we're going, where Pizza Hut still exists, but you go inside and it's a dry shell, lacking flavor, lacking anything other than you sit down, here's your pizza, get out. It, it's, it, the same thing happened after the 1960s. You go to like 1973 is when George Lucas, who was part of the new directors movement, like these rebellious Dennis Hopper, like all these new director types in the late 60s, Easy Rider, all that. George Lucas in 1973 makes American Graffiti, which is sort of, it, it began the, the sort of 19, the cult of 1950s nostalgia, right? It's, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's like as much of a stereotypical kind of 1950s childhood movie as you can imagine. And he was open about like why he did it. He said, because everything that comes out now is depressing and it sucks. And we, for like the last several years, every film that's come out has just told us how bad we are, how evil the war is, how, et cetera, et cetera. And I just didn't want any more of that. And I don't think a lot of other people do too. And it started that trend. Happy Days came out like a year or two later after that. And for us, I think, we're kind of going through a similar thing in the 80s and the early 90s are kind of our 1950s, you know? There's that 70s show, which was yeah, the late 90s, yeah. right? <clears throat> yep. And the crazy thing is, I think, is it is this true that, uh, yeah, 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 that 70s show was closer to the time period when it was released than we are to the 90s now. Ugh. Yeah, because we're, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> they're actually, that. they're doing a reboot, I think. Aren't they doing mm-hmm. a reboot, that 90s show, and it's about oh the cast of gosh. that 70s show? Wow. And, they tried to do later. that 80s show. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was, <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say no. No, who no does, but I think you know? it might just be that people have nostalgia for when they were kids and they always thought it was better. Well, that and yeah. um, well, it looks like Yum Food Brands bought – I don't know if they bought Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and KFC in 97. China. Basically, yes. uh, this Tricon <laughs> Global Restaurants Incorporated in 97, 1997. It, it came out of PepsiCo. I, it's kind of co- obfuscated as to who owns what here, but I think they all got merged I just, I just I just got to point out that – I have fond memories of going to pizza when I was a kid when you would get the bucket thing and bucket. You'd, you'd get the little wheel or whatever with all the things you win and you go in and you get like a little pizza because you read the books or whatever. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jack is obviously making a, you know, he's being silly about it. But there are there are people on the left that are really upset about Jack's statements about pizza that genuinely confuse me. It was fun going to pizza when we were kids. Everything else is meant to be more silly and a joke, but talking about how you know, we the things we did back then, we don't do anymore, and it kind of sucks. And you, times won't stay the same forever. But it's just funny how angry they got. Well, people well, they hate fun. Yeah, they literally <laughs> yeah, hate true, fun. Yeah. People have I, I disagree. I think they're addicted to it. People have nostalgia for their childhoods mm-hmm. all the time, obviously, because your childhood was the time before everything got so complicated. Mm-hmm. But that is also true, like, on a real societal level in, in this particular age, t- you know, as well. Like, I don't know how old all of you guys are exactly, but I'm, like, right at that age where... I was right in that sweet spot where I lived enough of my life, about 20 years before I ever really got on the Internet. I kind of knew about it, and I would, you know. How old are you? I'm 40. Oh, okay. And so right right at that age where you have enough experience of the world, what it was like before everybody had smartphones Mm -hmm. and everything, and yet you're young enough that you can just – you can pick it up, and you can learn it, and you can kind of get fully integrated. Mm -hmm. And – you know, it it has – it's radically changed things, and I think it's made things more complicated. These kids today will not know the joy of hearing the phone ring and racing your sibling full speed to try and answer it first. <laughs> yes. Or um, 
be watching something on television and having to like go grab your snack during the commercial break. Yeah. Actually, to be honest though, that is coming back to a lot of streaming services. Well, there was a, but I there, think there, there, real quick, there's a funny post where someone said the kids today will never know the joy of rushing to the kitchen to grab snacks during a commercial break yeah. and your sibling yelling, <laughs> it's on. That's right. And then it was on Tumblr. Someone said they couldn't just pause it. And then someone said, oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> oh, but that's hilarious. But I, I will say I, I do think there's more to it than nostalgia. So you you mentioned the filmmakers of the 70s, and I've heard it said that part of why Star Wars was so successful, and I'm not really much of a fan, but I've heard it argued part of why it was successful is because in that era, in the 60s and 70s, so much of what was being produced was depressing, but also sort of morally ambiguous. They didn't want to have a clear-cut good guy, bad guy narrative, but Star Wars leaned very heavily into to that. And now you see a lot of fans arguing online on Twitter that we need to have the gray Jedi and this series needs to be more about moral ambiguity, even yeah. though a huge part of what made it successful wanna, was the fact that they were willing to draw clear lines between what's good and bad. It was there, a kind there, of a story of Christ. Star Wars, the first one, Luke was fighting against the Empire like Jesus did, and he had magic powers like Christ did and stuff like that. So well, it was a hero's journey. Yeah. The hero's journey is very much. But I want to make a point. There's a meme. Where the NPC guy says, who radicalized you? And mm. then the Chad guy says, I'm just a no- normal person from 10 years ago. A bunch of people on the left were like, see, that pr- proves you're conservative. And I'm just like, bro, top surgery for 14-year-old girls? There's a big difference between being progressive and just like having no control. And my point was the eugenics movement of the progressives in the 1900s died and was considered amoral or immoral and unethical. Just because you think just because the progressives think they're going to win doesn't mean their ideas are good. And just because you oppose them doesn't mean you're a conservative. You, you Technically, I'd argue, if you're a progressive, you hold values from the early 1900s. That sounds a bit conservative. But artificial insemination is eugenics. I brought this up before and people messaged me and were like, thank you. That kind of got glazed over. Well, unless over. you mate with the very first of sexually available person you meet, then you're kind of a eugenicist, right? Well, but I mean, to, <laughs> if we're any selectivity at all is like you're doing a I little engagement. Kind of, but hold on. Look at, look at women going to sperm banks and then getting a catalog of, 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 of the males to choose from, <laughs> right? So I understand the argument that like a, a woman will make her, make her choices, but eugenics, I think, is better defined by preventing people from procreating. Yeah. And so there oh, are... I, don't, I think it's choosing who they procreate with, whether Genet- it's no eugenics one Eugenics or- was about good breeding. The idea was that you would have the best possible breeding. Now, obviously, men and women both select their mates. So when a woman goes to a sperm bank and she's like, here's the catalog of men. It's like a guy wearing a suit. It's like IQ 145 and he's six-figure salary. That's It's an extreme version of female selection, which I don't – it's like, okay, it's a weird modernity thing. But I, I think eugenics is really sour and bad when it was like we must prevent this group from having kids or terminate the children that may have these traits. Yeah, that's the ugly head of eugenics. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mate selection I think is normal and fine. You know, a woman's going to be like, honestly, dude, you're you, like, but you, I don't want to have a baby with you. It's like, well, that's life. It used to be like they would choose, the parents would choose who the kids married for most of history, I think. And, so and, relatively new. and, and we, we found that to be wrong. You know, it, it, we, we as, we, we did away with eugenics in terms of parents choosing who their kids would marry and dowries and all that. And then we also decided you should stop people from having kids, which is what Margaret Sanger wanted to do. 
Well, like she, she, I mean, I'm, I, look, whatever you want to argue about from the left, they want to say she wasn't racist, whatever, fine, but she did want to, ar- she did argue literally and fought very hard to stop certain people from having kids. Yeah, no, she was absolutely racist and she was eugenicist. But I, I wouldn't argue that arranged marriage is eugenics because they were not selecting the partner for their child necessarily on the basis of something like genetic fitness. It could be this is a morally virtuous person and so I want my child to marry them. Or the dad is rich. Yeah. Right. It depended yeah. on the choice of the parent they could be like i want you to have the most beautiful uh wife but usually it was for money i mean when it came to the royal families they did not care for genetics at all so i wouldn't call that eugenics <laughs> yeah it's about um land rights and stuff they want the wife to have ownership like she's going to get the the county of brussels so i'm going to marry her to the my son who has the kingdom of england well, and then the, they'll consolidate power all it. these kings in world war one were cousins yeah it was yeah so that's what I hear. Before we go too far away from this Pizza Hut thing, Yum Food Brands <laughs> was spun up to purchase KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. And the top owners of Yum Food Brands are Vanguard, oh, BlackRock really? at 4%, State Street at 4%, T-Row Price Associates. Yeah, you, right dude, dude, I just want to – when people say that meme reject modernity and embrace tradition, the one thing I will say, I mentioned before, when, when you're a tourist in key parts of the world – and you come to the famous downtown area of some city in some faraway country, and it's McDonald's, Starbucks, Gucci, Ugh. Hard Rock Cafe. You just throw up a little bit. You're just like, what is this? Is this is this it? The world will have nothing left to offer us. Yeah. There's no adventure. There's no there's no diversity. You know, the left talks about diversity all day and night. But I tell you, when I went to the Bahamas and I was like, I guess I'll go to Starbucks. I'm like, that's not fun. The da- the weird thing is when you're in another country and they only have like little like coffee shops where they're making the coffee and they're burning the bean and it doesn't taste. And you're like, oh, this is all. Then you see a Starbucks. It's like an oasis in the desert. And you're like, I can get a standardized thing that I know what it's going to taste no. like. Thank God. And you go there and no. you get a real coffee just exactly like it always tastes. No. And that's the upside of this <laughs> Dude, standardization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm going to – I'll tell you this. If I am in – some small, faraway country, and their burgers are weird and gross. I still will not go to McDonald's. Yeah. Not McDonald's. Starbucks is standard. No, make Starbucks is. Oh, I'll, I'll, okay Starbucks cold brew actually really. Uh, like. I yeah. think they, they have quality. I gotta coffee. get. I gotta have that because I've been. I Starbucks cold brew is good. McDonald's though, I, it's I don't trash. like Starbucks I don't coffee eat, though. I don't think a Starbucks is fast food. Really, I don't ever eat their food. Really. So I wanted to say before we move on for this Pizza Hut thing, I would think that. Nostalgia would be the one thing that would be truly bipartisan that everybody of about the same age would really resonate with. But you were talking about the sinews that hold people together at a very low level. I think this is one of those things. The fact that we can't even agree on some kind of fond childhood memory is kind of crushing to watch. Like, that's distressing that we don't even agree about that. What is wrong with us? I, I think, uh, I think childhood today is being destroyed on purpose mm. i think we as as millennials have a kind of shared experience in these cultural phenomena from when we were little like book it and pizza hut so when jack posobic posts the red cups and the little pan pizzas many of us go i remember that even if it was just one time you went because your school gave you those little things like if you if you read enough books the teacher would sign off and then pizza would give you a little free pizza so you'd get it that's a shared cultural experience now what do we have well, like the child- shared cultural experience is all like the weird stuff kids are being taught in schools. Marvel yeah, well, movies. Uh, yeah, well, I, was, I was just about to bring that up. I mean, childhood has in some way been, re- been redistributed to adults. So we've extended adolescence as far as we possibly could. And, <clears throat> take, take a I mean, at- maybe not as far as we possibly could. We're probably pushing to extend it even further. I've been saying this. They want they, – they, they are um, preventing adulthood. That's, yes. that's what's happening, whether yeah. intentional or not. Puberty blockers preventing adulthood. 
millennials have 3%. I th- I, I, fact check me on this one, but there's a meme going around. It's like millennials have 3% of U.S. wealth and boomers have 21%. That sounds right. It's the poorest generation in history. And uh, I think it's because boomers are living longer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because millennials were poorly raised. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. I also think that it's the case that when you look at the way children are raised today, I, I sort of mentioned that we've redistributed childhood, right? Because we prolong adolescence. But on top of that, it's not as if we give to children what was traditionally given to them. So at a very young age, 8, 9, 10 years old, a kid is handed a smartphone, which is a tool for an adult to use, but they just use it to do unrestrained, irresponsible things. And then they continue to do that until they're 30 instead of using this tool for something productive. So it's very strange and it's a rejection of responsibility, sadly, and no culture can function once that becomes the status quo. Let's poll the audience in a way that unashamedly promotes the show. Smash the like button if you think (laughs) kids should not have cell phones. There you go. Yeah, Um, what do you... I've been thinking a lot about this because we talk about kids getting access to the internet. What age should they get access to the internet? And what's it going to do to their brain to have all that information blasted at me? And then I started thinking, you know what? That happened to me when I was 26 years old. I got on YouTube and people started hitting me with all this information. So I started looking up the Federal Reserve, fiat currency, the Bank of International Settlements, the American war machine, liberal economic order. And I'm like, wow, we're not I, – I, I went insane. Society classified would have classified me as insane I was completely destroyed mentally and had to rebuild what I thought I was. That's happening to kids when they're five, seven, eight. And it's happening to adults when they're 60. So this internet's danger, man. It's the danger zone. It's a minefield for the mind. And we got to treat it like that. Yeah, and it subverts this, this process of growing up, right? Where, like we were talking before, before the show about this plan I have for my kids where I'm going to have like a library and there's going to be bookshelves full of books so that the kids grow up and they're just used to there being books all around. And my plan is, Like the books at the very bottom, those are going to be kids' books. You get up a little higher, a little higher, a little higher. Those are going to be the ones where I can tell my kid, you're not ready for that yet. And then they're going to be like, oh, I want that book. Now, that's something that happened like with all of childhood back in the days. There were things that you were not old enough for yet, that you don't get to see that. You don't get to experience that yet. You're just not old enough. You're not at that point. And it creates that sort of yearning to mature and grow up. And now, because of smartphones and just the permissiveness of the way we raise kids, you're seven years old. You can see anything. You can I, do anything. I am shocked and offended by what, how you described what your children will be reading. Will be reading. Clearly, the only things they should be allowed to read are Harry Potter and The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Handmaid's Tale. Come on. Handmaid's Tale. What was the joke? We're, we're making a, a – we're going to synthesize them and do a reboot that lefties will really pay money for. It's going to be called Harry's The Harry Handmaid. Harry Handmaid and – what was like Harry Handmaid and the Sorcerer's Tale, something like that, Philosopher's Tale. So you're I like a handmade this, uh, Harry. That I like this idea show. that you're going to have books for your kids in the future. I one time my dad was was telling I was in the bathtub. I was like six or something or seven, and he started to tell me a joke, and then he was like, ah. "Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino." That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'll tell you when you're older. And I was like, no, what? No. He was like, I'll tell you when you're older. So like 15 years And then it's like a rite by. of passage when he finally tells you. But you're like, oh, I've fi- arrived. Well, 15 years went by and I asked him, what was that joke you were going to tell me? And he was like, I don't remember what you're talking about. <laughs> so make sure they get a chance to read the books. When I was little, we had cable. And the cable box, man, I remember this is crazy. It had parental lock, parental lock on it, four-digit code. And we, whenever we wanted to watch Beavis and Butthead, my mom had to be like, only if I'm there, we can, mm. you know, and, and we, I decide you're, you're allowed to watch it. Because some of those episodes of Beavis and Butt, not for little kids, but some of them were just hilarious. Yeah, there's something my dad said to me when I was growing up, which is that, and he was referring to the television, but this is the first time in human history that people let complete strangers into their house to teach their children things without any kind (laughs) of filter. And when you put it that way, it becomes clear just how alarming the situation is. And yeah, is, Is this millennials doing it? What do you mean? Millennials? Who's, 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 well, my dad is referring – no, he was referring to his own generation and the fact that they sit their kids in front of the television or don't police what they're watching. They don't filter any of it. And so it's very, very sad. It's very sad. And there are so many horrible things kids get into at an early age. I mean we're not just talking about bad political theories or horrible advice. Children end up seeing pornography at a very early age and it warps them. Dude, when Man. I was in seventh grade, we had that one kid that every – you know, male friend group has who was like the pervert kid, right? And he brought a couple of his dad's playboys to school one time. And everybody, like, who found out about it was like, oh my God, a couple of playboys. And then he got caught by the teacher, and we're like, well, he's dead. I mean, he's clearly going to be executed, like, on the playground. <laughs> like, his life yeah. is completely over. And it's like, now, today, little Johnny brings a cell phone to school, and you got to explain to your six year old what. X, Y, and Z. That's terrifying. And instead of being like kids shouldn't have cell phones, you have these teachers being like kids have questions. Yep. And we're going to answer them and show them graphic pictures. I love it. Uh, the the Washington Post's writing that op-ed where it's like it's a book about being gender queer and kids need these stories and it's being banned now. And then Amazon's like eighteen and up only because it's got graphic <laughs> depictions of adult activities in it. Well, and they would not put the actual images from the book in their publication because they knew they were too depraved. But that's, they they were arguing that children should be shown those images in public schools. That's how you know they're creeps. Yep, because they know what's in the book and they're lying. Yeah, it's really remarkable, actually, if you go back to the late '60s, how many of the radicals from that era, after they got done being, you know, fake revolutionaries, went into early uh, elementary education or like went into the, the educational training. You have guys like. Uh, um, like uh, Daniel Cohn-Bendy out in France. He was a big revolutionary 68 guy out there. And afterwards, he went and opened a kindergarten. And then he wrote a memoir about it a few years after that. And he talked about, this is like in the mid-70s, talking about how, you know, this, all of this sexual repression is what leads to fascism and the authoritarian personality and everything. And so if he caught, like, a couple of his kids, like, fondling each other or something, he would just sit there and, like, talk to them while they did it and make sure they what? were comfortable. Sometimes they would come up and touch him. What? Jeez. This guy This guy became, like, a politician in France. Nobody cared. They, it, it got brought up sometime in the late 90s. They tried to, like, use it against him, and nobody cared. Yes. You know? So I've I've mentioned this on the show before, but there's a fellow by the name or a d- disgusting pervert by the name of Alfred Kinsey, 
and he is known as the father of the sexual revolution. He is the father of sexology or the, like the modern scientific field of studying human sexuality. And in his published works, he had data tables that were collected by sexually abusing young boys. And this had been done to like over 200 minors, boys under the age of 15, including infants. I won't explain what the data tables say on air. It's really disgusting. Mm. But so much of this stuff is completely out in the open. And the boomer generation is comedic in a sense because I remember growing up watching movies that the boomer generation made about how heroic the boomer generation was. And there's this idea that they were these brave revolutionaries because their parents, who had just lived through the Great Depression and then fought in the Second World War, came home and said, you know, like we have some advice on how the world works and you should listen to us. And they said, screw you, Mom and Dad, I'm going to have one-night stands and listen to rock and roll. And this is considered this really brave and important revolution. It was just a bunch of spoiled children. It was just a bunch of spoiled children completely tarnishing and squandering their inheritance. I want to bring up this, uh, this tweet here. It's from me. There's a tweet from Stonewall Jackson I responded to where he says, this is so pathetic. The new Star Trek show depicts what appears to be the January 6th protest leading to the end of the world and the human race as we know it. I actually, I, I, I find the clip from the new Star Trek show very interesting. They call January 6th a fight for freedom. Hmm. Yeah. No, no. Zero. So um, I don't know if we can play it because, you know, they're very litigious here on YouTube. But he says it started with a fight for freedom. Shows audit the vote on January 6th and then the protests from the summer. And he says it ultimately led to the eugenics war and then finally World War III where hundreds of thousands of species were wiped out. But hold on there a minute. Is that not plausible? It starts with a fight for freedom, so they describe. January 6th, they show. Kind of crazy they would call January 6th a fight for freedom, but sure. <laughs> led to the eugenics wars. Well, hold on. What's happening right now? Roe v. Wade is being banned and the left is going to the homes of Supreme Court justice and they've thrown, there's a, 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 a nonprofit, pro-life nonprofit at a Molotov cocktail thrown through its window, reportedly. That's the accusation. And several pro-life pregnancy centers were vandalized. In this show, where maybe they didn't realize it, it makes sense. It's plausible. In today's day and age, a eugenics war? Yeah, the abortion issue. I think it's kind of poorly written because if there was really, if this, because then they go, it led to the, uh, which led to civil war, which then led to world, war. Well, he says ultimately well, World War III. Ultimately World War III. What he would really be saying is then China and the United States, and he talk about World War III. No, the no, no, stuff no. leading up to it is forgotten. Well, this no, is, no, no, hold on. I think this actually works. Let me break it down it's, for it's you. political crap. In You've my got opinion. January 6th, a fight for freedom, as he calls it. You then have, you know, people are fighting, tensions are rising. Roe v. Wade gets overturned, and then all of a sudden you have blue states outright saying abortion, even in Virginia, after birth. And and the media will claim it's not true, but we all heard what Northam said. The baby would be delivered, resuscitated if that's what they wanted, and kept comfortable. And then the conversation would happen, which basically means what? Fine. What do you, what's the conversation about? Let, 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 let's just say, well, he wasn't specific. Colorado, limitless, no restricted abortion. Could this lead to a conflict, which is about whether or not some people should not have kids or, or should? It's happening. How could it, how could it then become World War III? He may be oversimplifying it. But the political conflict inside the United States could ultimately result in a unipolar world destabilizing, China expanding in various countries, Russia expanding in Eastern Europe, the U.S. still trying to main, maintain unipolar dominance, and then World War III. I think it's fascinating they wrote this through it. But I will start with the point where they describe January 6th as a fight for freedom. 
Yeah, I, I think, what? and I'm sure you know this, I appreciate your analysis, but obviously they were trying to smear the right, more or less put it on conservatives. I, I, it, I no, no. You I, really I, don't think so? You think they're trying to be neutral? In what way could you, could you, he literally shows January 6th as a fight for freedom. How could you in any way say he's trying to smear them? Well, I think when you look at the track record of Hollywood and their analysis of current events, they tend to come down on the side of the left. And I would also argue that for a television show to explicitly say they were in favor of what happened on January 6th would basically be suicide. You would have said it started with disinformation riling up mm. dis- disaffected citizens into believing their country was stolen from them and rioting, I, which I, sparked I, a civil war. No, he said a fight for freedom. I think January 6th wasn't a fight. There was a few people that got into it, maybe, but it wasn't. A, it was just a protest. Maybe he was talking about the feds, and he's like, "Those protest. feds were fighting for freedom." It does then show summer of love stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. So also, it's possible, you know, they write the dialogue, and then the editor ends up placing certain images over the dialogue that the writer might not have intended. But you know, I kind of, I think I agree with you, Ian, about the point that. It's a little bit lazy. So it's not abnormal for a science fiction show about the future to comment on current events or at least contemporary culture. But to do it in a really over-the-top way like this seems really lazy. Instead of the com- lazy. instead of creating an allegory for it or having characters in the future present a situation you might be more detached from than the current event, they are literally showing things that happened today and commenting on it. I think it's a, a ripoff of a Star Trek episode where... Data asks about terrorism because they're, they visit a planet where there are terrorists. And then he mentions, Data says, I don't understand some elements of their conduct. You know, we say it's wrong to do these things, but it's actually been quite successful for many groups. And then he mentions Mexico, Ireland, and then he mentions a fictitious 2020, you know, 20, 2022 or 22, something event, Star Trek world. And basically what Data does is he asks a question about uh, terrorism using real historical elements and then a fictitious sci-fi element from the future we haven't encountered yet, it seems to be the exact same thing they're doing. It's lazy. It's very lazy. I mean, it's video footage from last year, too. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's why I watch Star Trek. That's why I watch sci-fi shows about the future. I want to see video footage from last, last year. year. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. What the heck? Laziness. No. But, I don't know. I find it fascinating. I wonder, I, I you know... Laziness or short-sightedness or, like, a lack of creativity on the the... Or a political underhanded move by the Yeah, I don't think you can. I mean, I haven't seen the clip, but I don't think you can put a January 6th clip in that context on a show without it being a political decision. I mean, I I think that's something that's done on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that also shows it shows a George Floyd's right. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, but and and of course, this kind of thing affects rewatchability. Like if you, you know, people will go back and rewatch episodes of TNG or the original series and I don't think I really don't think people are going to be going back and rewatching this 15 20 years from now not many I, of them. I'm not watching it the first time yeah, I'm exactly, a huge Star Trek exactly. fan. They they've they've just you know what it is? I don't I don't know. They they hired a bunch of people who hate Star Trek to write <laughs> Star Trek. So. Is this the one with Stacey Abrams? She made an appearance as like the president of the planets or something? Did you guys That was Discovery, I think. <laughs> Stacey Abrams the the president of Earth. Okay, political Star Trek trash again. They have a politician who, who as a character. You know, you, you mentioned this? this earlier. We were we were talking before the show about the late night TV and how they're uh, in the key demo, we actually rival some late night television shows, which is actually really bad for them because they used to get 20 million views. And the funny thing is, you mentioned how Older people watch those shows. They used to watch it every night, but now all of a sudden they're being made fun of. This is the funny thing. Like Jimmy Kimmel, for instance, in like the, the late night. The people who are, who are watching CNN, 
the people who are watching these shows, the overwhelming majority are, are like 60 to 70 years old. And they're trying to make the politics of these shows fit a millennial leftist or progressive worldview. And it's like, well, that's not the boomer generation. So your show used to actually attract tens of millions of people in the boomer generation. You've decided to sacrifice all of that for millennials who consume digital media. They should just be making a new show. They should keep that show with older hosts to keep talking to the older crowd that was young in the 80s when David Letterman was in his 30s. And then they should have a new show. But they're competing for time slots, which is also archaic because people watch stuff on YouTube at any time of day. You don't need – it. stuff's on demand now. It's, people – industry – I don't know. I, I don't want to make a generalization about industry being slow to, to adopt the hot new thing. But the entertainment industry sure is. It's, they were still making me mail headshots in in like 2008. To, uh, because sending a digital thing was apparently just, it was, they just didn't under, it was too new, so it wasn't good. Are we just, uh, going through the natural progression of old fogeyism, where we're like, it was better when I was a kid! <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, I'm 27, but I'm already there. New content is bad! I, I did like hear you 19. say these kids today. Uh, remember, earlier, was, remember, was, uh, was, yeah. the, the Simpsons thing where Abe is talking to a young Homer, and he's yes. like, it'll happen yes. to you too. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's, he was like, I used to be with it. But then they changed what it was. Now what it is is scary to me. I think yeah. kids... It'll happen to you. I think so children true. today are smarter than the previous generation um, intellectually, and their minds work quicker. But And that's the natural progression of evolution. But emotionally, we're experiencing some challenges because of the disconnectedness of the technology. You, you, know, what I, you know what I was thinking, though? I, I, I wonder if that's, that's true. Because I know kids today are still very much passionate about capturing small animals and forcing them to fight each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really big. I deal. went to I went to a we went to a bowling alley arcade the other day, and all the kids just love forcing animals to fight. You know, brutally just beat each other, and uh, uh, tons of Pokemon toys everywhere. Yeah. yeah, you know, I grew up I grew up with Pokemon. I remember when the when it I guess it first started the like in, in America, and I I bought Pokemon Red on the original Game Boy with money I made at my family's cafe from tips. And uh, today, kids are still very much watching Pokemon, and the toys are like the big prize at the arcade were Pokemon stuff. I was talking to somebody the uh, I guess a couple months ago now. Did you know there are Pokemon cards that get sold for a half a million dollars? <laughs> yes, I, I didn't know it was a, that a much. Ton of them. That's... Gary V is a big proponent. of He that. had to show me on his phone. I did not believe him. <laughs> I just the, the funny thing is like having owned so many foil first edition Pokemon cards Oof. and then just like having lost them or sold them. Painful. Now it's 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 like a laughable when I'm like that's how much they're going for these days. Wow. It's Cuz the but printing it, run was so low. I don't know because look, you know uh, millennials are broke, right? Mm. Millennials are are relatively poor. So so who cares that much about Pokemon other than nostalgic millennials? So I guess there's a spattering of wealthy millennials who are like, I would like to buy a Charizard for a million bucks. It's got to just be speculators in the market, right? I don't think it's like a Pokemon fan fan who's like, I've got to have that card. There's some dude who's like, there's like a Gen Z. I mean, uh, he mowed a lot of lawns that summer and he needed that Pokemon card. No, no, no. no, Think about it. If If you're Gen Z right now, it is a great bet to buy old Pokemon cards because once the boomers age out and then millennials inherit a lot of this Mm. wealth, you're going to have a bunch of nostalgic, rich 60-year-old millennials, and you're going to be in your mid-40s, and you're going to be like, you want that Charizard, I got it, and that $100,000 is going to be $10 bucks. That theme that you just talked about, about millennials not having any money, has come up a couple times, and it seems like you know, that's one of the threads that kind of ties everything together politically and socially right now, right? Where if you go back to like the late 60s again, people 
you know, middle-aged people were looking at the colleges, looking at the youth movement, and they were like, oh, my God, like, when these people take over our society, like, actually go out and get into authority positions, like, we're just, I guess we're just done. This is the end of America, the end of the world. And, of course, it turned out not to be that way. Uh, because those people got out of college and they got jobs and bought houses and had kids. And then once you get to that point, you kind of care about what your community is going to be like in 10 years. You care about what kind of schools your kids are going to. And you be, that's another way of saying you basically become a conservative in a lot of important, like dispositional ways. You look at the millennial generation. And so what happens, right? So every, every like 25 years or so is like when that happens in the past. You get to about 25, maybe late 20s. By that point, your parents are starting to be like, are you not going to get married yet? Like, what's going on? There was that, that was the timing of it. The millennials has had like that, that period, that young person period has had so much more room to run because they're in their mid to late 30s and they're not able to get married and have kids and buy houses or create a stable career. I don't think that's it. I don't, I, you know, I've heard a lot from millennials where they're like, we'd be getting married and having kids if it wasn't for this economy. And I'm like, I don't believe it. I just, I just think that's an excuse. I think people are just permanent children. Well, the the economy is in a horrific state. When Obama bailed out no, Fred, uh, Freddie Mae and Fannie, Fannie gonna, Mae and Freddie I'm, Mac, and I'm when gonna, we all found out we were on fiat currency and not the gold standard in 2007, everybody got the red pill. Uh, that was like, oh, and now we're what are we just? Are we in hyperinflation right now? I don't know if you'd call it hyperinflation, but we've just almost doubled our money supply. It's, it is, last... it's. I'm gonna, I'll call myself out outright. I'm 36. I am not married. I'm in a relationship, but we have no kids. That there is something about millennials where it just it didn't happen. Well, but values change to accommodate reality, right? I yeah. mean, like you know, I just think about. I, I was just ahead of this curve. I guess I got lucky for that. But you, if you're about 35, about your age, you basically um, got out of high school. 9/11 happens. We've been at war ever since you've been anything like an adult, right? And. All the only politics that you've known is people screaming at each other, calling each other Nazis and so forth. And that's it. That's that's our politics as far as since you've ever been paying attention to politics. That's what it's been. You just get out of college and like the year or two after you get out of college, the financial crisis hits and things are just a waste for several years. You finally start to maybe get back on your feet in your mid 30s and you're starting to put something together. COVID hits like this is just an incredible amount of instability for any generation to handle. And. You know, the millennials are going to be the first generation in American history that has a lower standard of living than their parents do. Yep. And you cannot overstate, I think, how significant that is, right? Because it's not just that, like, oh, my parents had a house that was this big and I only get a house that's this big. What people relate it to, like, what their basic standard of what a life should look like is how things were when they were growing up. And so you have an entire generation of people who, in the aggregate, grew up a certain way and are starting to realize and understand that they are going to take a step back from where that was. And that's, you know, it's it's not, it's not some like huge mystery why we get Bernie Sanders at a time like this. There's a, uh, this viral video about pod housing where (laughs) people, these, these companies will buy like a, a decently large loft and then stack up like, like five little cube, like cubes and then five on top. And you crawl into this little, it's probably five feet wide, no, four feet wide, four feet high. And you crawl into your little mat on the floor with your TV and your art. And that's your pod. Everyone shares the kitchen and bathrooms. And there's videos of these millennials being like, it's just so awesome. It's only $800 per month. And it's just like, (laughs) oh, no, for real. You want to live in some of these cities, man. 
You've like it's only four a month with a roommate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look at that. Well, hey, this this is what you're gonna get communism. Yeah. You're gonna get little hippie houses, buildings where there's gonna be like fifty millennials all living in it and they're sharing their kids. Like like their kids are gonna be just communal kids, I mean. I saw a tweet and I need to verify this one, but I believe it was from the World Economic Forum and it showed young people about our age living in a tiny house and it said if you own a big house you're racist. You need to own a small house. You need to own nothing and be happy about it. And I was telling my dad about this when he came out a little while ago. I said, Dad, I feel a great sense of almost resentment, but very much a sense of missing something that we never had because I know now that the American dream that I grew up with is not something that I will ever see. I will never see my white picket fence. That's not something I, that I'm never going to have. Yeah, the I American dream was true. The American dream was based true? on imperialism and war. No, it, I wasn't, think, it wasn't a real thing. Oh. I think one of the issues is I also think millennials are the first generation of mass debt college students. I don't think uh, Gen X, for the most part, was inundated at the same way the millennials were. The boomers certainly weren't. So one of the issues is, is I believe, when I grew up, every single adult was like, you have to go to college. And I would just be like, why? And they would be like, because otherwise you won't get a good job. And then I'm just like, I don't understand. Well, I've told this story before. I read an, an op-ed from an economist. I think he worked under Clinton where he said that if you went to any investor and said, you give me $40,000 in an investment and in four years, you will owe me $40,000 plus interest and that's it. They would laugh in your face. That's the stupidest investment I've ever heard of. But this is what we're telling every 18-year-old to do, to take out a loan with interest that gets them no guarantees. They don't know why they're going to college. They don't know where they're going to work when they get out. And a bunch of the, a bunch of these millennials went in for liberal arts and now they're slammed with debt confused. But we had the boomer generation. I tell you, man, they were screaming in my ears. They would shut up about it. So now you have an entire generation saddled with impossible debt, just hating the system. All of the problems you mentioned with the, with war, with the financial collapse, the security state. And they just, I think they've just lost the ability to, to, to function in any meaningful way relative to the past generations. Well, I think he hit on a good point. It is something I really worry about, right? Which is maybe there are no economic policies that we're going to have or anything that are actually going to get things back to where they were in the 50s and 60s. You know, maybe all of that was a just it was a relic of the fact that the entire world got destroyed and deindustrialized in World War II except for us and they all needed American labor and American capital and you know, we're five percent of the world's population. We got thirty percent of the world's resources flowing into the Imperial Center. And maybe that was just never sustainable. And you just wonder like, even if, you know, we're five percent of the world's population, if we only got fifteen percent instead of thirty percent of the world's resources, we're still like probably at the top of the heap. I don't think we could handle I I think there would be a violent revolution if we had to take a half a fifty percent cut in our standard of living in this country. You know, and so maybe it was never it was never something sustainable. I think people just got to learn to go live in the middle of nowhere. And a lot of people live in the middle of nowhere are like, no, you're going to ruin the middle of nowhere. Don't tell them to come here. Well, but that's the the difficulty, right? Like I remember when the yellow vest protests were going on in France Mm -hmm. and I read an article by one of the leaders of it. And the thing he said was this is true in France. It's true in the United States to a large degree is that the places that you actually have to go to work are becoming increasingly concentrated in like a few urban centers. Those places are becoming impossible to actually live because they're so expensive because everybody has to go there. It's like you can, I mean, there's probably more, you know, jobs out in the middle of nowhere if you're willing to be an electrician or a plumber or something like that instead of, you know, uh, but, you know, we've spent just 
God knows how many hours and, and how many dollars of propaganda to convince people that that makes them a failure in their life if they end up doing that. So you know, one of the one of the biggest challenges as we're trying to build this new <laughs> studio is. You know, we're trying to find a local expert in folklore mythology, but we just can't find any. You know, if only there was someone who can come and read us the, the, the ancient words that could help us. I, how, I have you'll, no idea how to help you'll build find our facility. You'll if only they can do like a feminist analysis of the Epic of Gilgamesh. <laughs> you'll find that. Yeah. that. That would actually be a good bit we should do where it's like, you know, in order to get the uh, the new studio built, we had to bring in a feminist interpretive dancer. <laughs> like you see that parliament thing, oh, okay. like European parliament where they're just dancing and it's oh, like... Yeah. Oh, I think regarding what you said about standard of living, that was interesting that this would be the first generation to have a standard of living less than the generation before. And I wonder, maybe financially, I agree with you financially for sure. That's what it looks like. But my parents' generation got drafted into Vietnam, destroyed their standard of living. I mean, annihilated the entire generation. it, It ruined their lives. And World War I annihilated the entire generation. Give, we, give, give them a little more time with Russia. We'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, so that's why I'm so anti-war. If you think that even even considering a war right now is any benefit, you got to understand what countries do with large un, uh, un, uneducated and un... Uh, what do you call it when they don't have a job? Unemployed. Unemployed masses. They, what the countries do with those people, they send them to war to die so they don't have to feed them and take care of them. So you do not want to push for a war. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think you made a very interesting point about America sort of stepping in after the Second World War and becoming this economic powerhouse. And I hadn't considered that before. And I want to give it some thought. But another point I like to make when it comes to the change in the standard of living is the fact that the workforce really became oversaturated because we doubled the labor supply once we decided that rather than a a sole breadwinner, rather than the father representing the family unit economically in in working, we were going to have both parents work because that was somehow, you know, woman's liberation. We ended up in a position where your average worker now had half the negotiating power. And so I think that's been seriously detrimental to this country. But ultimately, whether you're talking about, you know, a a crony capitalist system or a capitalist system which is not managed virtuously or a communist system, in the end, you have a a really horrific situation where your average person does not have property and therefore no investment in the system. Yeah, this whole BlackRock owning property thing's got to go. Let's just let's just uh, start from step one. And this isn't a value statement or a moral statement. Women largely enter the workforce around starting in the 70s and the late 70s, right? That's when we, you know, so, so I mean, for our, our parents' generation, it was like they were young adults. Like, all of a sudden, women were getting jobs. You know, for me, I grew up, it was always the case. Mm. But once women are in the workforce, you now have both men and women focused on the breadwinning aspect of life and no f- familial aspect of life. So who's going to raise the kids? Well, daycare becomes a question. They now say we need, you know, businesses to offer daycare for our kids or public schooling. Mm-hmm. The government has to replace the family. Yep. And that is not going to work out well for anybody. It's this slow creep where, like, uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, right, talked about this with technology, how uh, a car is invented. And it's like, wow, now I can get a car and I can drive wherever I want. Like, I could only walk or ride my bike before. Now I can drive. I have the freedom of the road. Let a little bit of time go go by. And now having a car is not an option. You have to have a car to survive in our society at all. Yep. And you're commuting 45 minutes to work every day stuck in traffic. And you have no choice. And it's kind of similar here. Like, oh, wow, women can go out and get a career. They can go out and get jobs now. 
well, give it a couple years, and now women have to get jobs. Both parents have to work just to survive because wages have stagnated and costs have gone up. They, and it has I, a way of working like I that. I never hear the left talk about that. They always show these graphs where it's like, I wonder what happened in 1979. And then yeah. I see this meme where it's like labor unions started losing power. And I'm like, it's true, but you double the workforce and your bargaining power gets cut in half overnight. And not just that, but you've got you've got somebody who's, you know, running a business and they say to the guy, So tell me about your family. And it's like, Oh, my wife works here and you know, we're planning this and this and I need X amount of dollars. It's like your wife's got a job, you don't need that much money. Mm. Like you're, you co- mm-hmm. the collective salary between you and your wife is gonna be seventy five K, you're fine. Yeah, I think the expectation is that you're gonna be a dual income household. And so right. you don't need to be paid a wage that would be sufficient for supporting a family. And just to clarify something I said earlier I said that people who, who don't have property, don't have a stake in the system, I misspoke. They don't have as much of a stake. There's still a stake in the system, but they are much easier to control. What, what is the phrase? Dink? Is that it? Is? Dual income, Dual no income, kids. No yeah. Kids. yeah, I, I think, I, I, I think you're right. Easier though. to bully. I mean, I think, I think there's some invest, like, I, I, cause I don't want, I think property is very important, but I also, I don't want to say, like, if somebody has no property, then, like, well, they're not doing things that could be selfless or beneficial. It's to the not system. just property, though, it's stability. Yes. Right? Like, you know, I, I've seen, uh, every time I go into an airport, I see, like, a fast company magazine, one of those, like, new hip business magazines. And it always have like some kind of cover article they do. It's one of those recurring articles that they do again and again in different, you know, slightly different ways. And it says like how for this generation, you know, the young generation, the young people coming up today are going to change careers six times throughout their lives. And that the skill of the future isn't going to be like mastering some skill. It's going to be mastering the art of learning so that you can go through these changes like smoothly. And it's like, well, okay, like if you're some super high IQ person with like a good start, you know, in your early 20s and you kind of like knew what you were doing and you got off on a good start, good for you. But what happens when, you know, if you change change careers six times throughout your life, that's six times maybe you have to move six times that your friends get changed. Eventually that just becomes, I mean, I went to like 35 different schools between kindergarten and 12th grade. And by third grade, I just learned like, don't make friends. It's a pointless exercise, right? And so people learn. Uh, you know, don't get too attached to the place you live. Don't get too yeah. sentimental about the people you meet there. Mm-hmm. And th- th- so I, I think there is a loss of investment. You know, and then what they, what they end up doing is as maybe as a replacement, a prosthetic for that, is they displace that sort of social concern that they have onto some, you know, broad social yeah. issues on the federal level or something like that. I think that can absolutely happen. I think that can absolutely happen. And you made a, a point earlier about how we couldn't come in and just cut everyone's standard of living in half. And I was I was mentioning communism and of course I believe that you know communism is an unbelievably horrific barbaric system. Uh I mean it, it's not just a matter of people not having property. They I mean they slaughter people. But at the same time, if a communist regime were to be instilled in the United States and they were to tell people, you know, you have to live in a pod now, it would be much more of a struggle than to just erode the economic independence of the American people over time to the point where they say a pod, that's a really great deal. Or van life. Mm, yeah. I remember when uh, that there was this woman on YouTube who was po- she posted like two van life videos and gained like three million subs overnight. Because there was apparently some glitch in the algorithm where she hit all these key points. And so YouTube's algorithm just showed her videos to literally everyone. So she makes like two videos with three million subs. But I, it made me, made me think of a potential conspiracy. That YouTube was intentionally promoting van life as a way of making millennials happy, being happy with owning nothing. For real, think about what happened. So when this van life trend was going around in like 2018, 
All these people are on YouTube and they're like, I live in a van. I can go wherever I want. I got no rent. I got a computer and my dog and we're going surfing. And then they post these videos where they're playing that song by, I think it's by Avicii. He said, one day you'll leave you. Or whatever that song, it's like on repeat. And they're all like running and like filming themselves. Life is so good living in a van down by the river. (laughs) And I just, I was like, I wonder if YouTube's promoting that because they want people to own nothing and be happy. And then all of a sudden we got that video from the World Economic Forum that said you will own nothing and you'll be happy. I will not live in the pod. I will not eat the bug. It's tough to tell because it's like calling it, what does YouTube want? It's monolithic. Corporations don't have wants. But certain people within the corporations may very well have that in mind. I would think that most people involved hadn't thought about that or thought that far ahead. It almost seemed like the dream, the American dream, is so prevalent that people had bought it at that point. What were you saying? Yeah, well, no. I think regardless, even if it's not the case that there's an algorithmic push to direct people towards this kind of content, our generation, I would say generations prior, have really been slowly sold this idea that independence is the most important thing you can possibly have, right? So commitment and productivity are significantly less important than being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And it's true that if you are just living out of a comfortable van, you're not tied down anywhere. You uh, don't have as high of expenses. It's much easier for you to travel. I'm not saying it's a preferable way to no, live, no, no, but no, it is the way to live that we have been sold. Maintaining over these time. vans is not easy. They can't drive. I mean, you get But it. maintaining a house is really difficult. Well, yeah, and I, I would say maintaining a van is probably a lot less expensive. Um, but if you're if you're living in a van, I don't know if you're going to have the kind of job that's going to be a you know. Yeah, unless well, you're one of these van life YouTubers. Well, again, my whole point is there's a lifestyle. Whether it's there's a lifestyle that's been sold to us, which is that independence is the most important thing. It is far more important, as I said, than productivity or commitment. Building something in the long term. What matters is you can pick up and leave and do whatever you want whenever you want. And so it's unsurprising that it's such a huge trend. Now, All right. Let's go to Super Chats. If you have not already, give that like button a decent smashing and head over to TimCast.com where we're going to have a members-only show coming up at 11 p.m. tonight. You're not going to want to miss it. It'll be fun. And uh, don't forget to share the show if you really do like it. Let's read what all of these Super Chats are about. Something about people starting farms with a bunch of farm animals. They want to. They want to yeah. buy a bunch of mules or something. I don't. I don't, I don't know what that is. Two thousand, I think. Two thousand wow. mules. Two thousand mules. Yeah, something about that. <laughs> I wonder what they do Anyway, Amanda Diltz. Is that what it says? Diltz. Please, please wish my daughter Riley a happy birthday. She turned four yesterday and was so excited to get her step on snack dress like her three other siblings. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. We have, uh, we, we made onesies, right? I think step on snack and find out onesies. Is it Riley? (laughs) Indoctrinate your kids with liberty. (laughs) Yeah. Riley, it's for Riley's birthday. Riley, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Riley. Happy Happy birthday, birthday. Riley. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says blue haired Fuba wants to do a sex strike. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. Joe Burns says, hey, Tim, have you considered making making Sesame Street-like kids TV show starring Ian and puppet versions of Chicken City Chickens with a hidden ongoing joke that he's high on DMT the whole time? That's a good idea. So, so Ian's so the, breakthrough? What the show called? is you're the it's one. It's breakthrough. No, it's too, well, little too kids. sci-fi. Yeah, it's got to be called Chicken City with, you know, Oh, kids. yeah, that's a good idea. Chicken City Kids. And then it's you, and there's puppet chickens, and they're like, hey, Ian, two plus two equals four. And then you're like, Whoa. And then, like, the intro to the show is always a DMT trip, but kids don't get it. So it's just, like, you, like, uh, the chickens are walking around like normal chickens, but then all of a sudden they start talking to you. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> you watch it when you grow up, and then you realize. It's like watching old Looney yes. Tunes, and you realize how yeah. racist they are. Yeah, right? <laughs> all right. So I think it's funny that people are like, the lead story is 2,000 mules. Whoa, why would you talk about it? I think, full disclosure, I didn't see it. 
Yeah, I, didn't, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. You know, it was Mother's Did Day. Did you guys see like, it? <laughs> it's, it's preoccupied. I didn't see this is Dinesh uh, I know a little bit about movie. it. Yeah. Yeah. I know a little bit about it. We'll talk a little bit about it. Um, Colt says, have you watched 2000 Mules? If so, what were your thoughts? I have not yet seen it, but I do know a little bit about it from reading the news. I know that the mainstream media is basically, basically saying it's all fake news. And one of the criticisms that Dinesh D'Souza brought up is they're saying there was GPS data tracking people who are dropping off multiple ballots. This is the allegation. And the mainstream media is like GPS data is not precise enough, except there are many stories from the mainstream media about how GPS data is actually quite precise. So it's like it definitely seems like there's a double standard. It's for been sure. used in murder trials. GPS data. Um, yeah. And that, uh, yeah. that that serial show, you remember the first season of serial? They talked about a big part of it was like the GPS data from his phone. Like, was he in this location? All right. Let's see. Will S. says, first super chat after more than a year of listening. Friday with Daryl was an incredible disappointment, but I don't want to give up. Please invite him back on for more of what he did with the clan and maybe a debate with Sowell. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the conversation we have with Daryl Davis, and I think what a lot of people uh, realized for the first time, the story of Daryl Davis is about a black uh, uh, blues musician who befriended members of the clan and other white supremacists and convinced them, uh, inadvertently as it was, he was the, the impetus by which they gave up being white supremacists. I think for many people who are anti-identitarian, they heard the story and assumed that he convinced them not to be racists. But upon hearing the identitarian opinions of Daryl Davis, I think a lot of people all of a sudden felt like, hey, how can this be? I thought he was convincing, you know, identitarians not to want race policy, but he was very much heavily advocating for race policy. I think the issue is Daryl Davis didn't de-radicalize members of the Klan away from racism. He de-radicalized them away from white identitarianism, mm. meaning they were it was easy for them to replace the racism they already had with another form of it because it was very similar. They were like, oh, OK, racial discrimination in this way makes sense, right? That's possible. Yeah, I thought a couple things with Daryl is like different. First, if Daryl, the story of Daryl Davis is bridging the gap. It's not about believing the same thing as the other person. It's about bridging a gap. And so there's a generation gap. And there's also the race gap. And we, that's a conversation that's not going to be had in two hours. And yeah, we should definitely do it again. So I, yeah, I wondered because, um, we've had, we've had conversations and we've seen interviews with Daryl before where these issues haven't come up the way they did on this show. Yeah. So some people were saying that he had been radicalized and perhaps the, the rise of critical race theory and the things he was quoting are relatively new phenomenon in modern political context. And you could argue that they're created in order to radicalize or at least yeah. proliferated in order to radicalize. Yeah, and, and it was, it was, it was interesting. He was wrong. He kept saying that the U.S. never apologized for slavery, but in, you brought up in 2008, NPR reported that Congress did apologize for slavery. Yeah, there was an official apology for it. I lived well, I my think there life. There were several, a, actually. My life is an apology. Let me make the world better for you and your friends. All right. We made a lot of money tonight from people saying, please see 2000 Mules, the movie. So the general idea is that there were in five key states, several people who they tracked, um, GPS data on. That showed them going to drop boxes multiple times, but several I've seen. So again, I don't want to I don't want to criticize uh, too much because I haven't seen it yet, but I, I will check it out. Uh, interesting questions being raised, and and and, and I think that's fair. Uh, I think that's it. A lot of people are like, you can't bring it up, you'll get banned. I'm not. I don't think 2000 Mules. Um, I, I my understanding from what I've already seen in the news and in, in media commentary is that it raises certain questions and requests an answer, and then asks people to look into the footage and the evidence because there's a large amount of videos that need to be gone through. I don't. I, I that's about it. That's where we're at. I think it raises a lot of interesting questions so far. But again, need to watch it. 
Need to watch it for sure. I saw some people already comment that only, I think, one video was actually released of a person doing a multiple ballot drop. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I don't know a whole lot of... Whole lot of uh, I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. All right. Let's see. Rob S. says, 2,000 Ian's looking in your soul. Uh-huh. <laughs> All from a different angle. Tim Jake says, the NPR story was written by the same person that claimed conflict between Gorsuch and Sotomayor over masks, a story proven false. She has history of making claims without supporting facts or evidence. Yep. That's right. Okay. Kylie Miller says, Democrats are going to lead us to another civil war because they can't define what a person is again. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how it goes, right? Yeah. If you wanted to. John, Josh, one dude says, Tim, you blew me away with your arguments toward the guest Friday. I was baffled. I didn't know you had such a big brain. Even you haven't yeah. seen him without the beanie on. Sorry to interrupt your <laughs> super chat. <laughs> That's right. Oh. I like the, 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 there's someone made a paintbrush meme of my head is a hot air balloon and I'm holding the basket and it's like, I don't know how it works. That's a good one. I saw but that. I was like, I, I saved it. The, the funny so thing good. is like, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro, he always like, they make fun of him, but he like laughs at the memes and stuff. I, I wonder if these people genuinely think that they're angering people on the right with a lot of this stuff. Because I just, I just think it's funny. It's all amazing. Yeah. You also do have a big brain. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I see it more without the beating when you're beating someone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just like. <laughs> no, but I think, I just <laughs> think it's funny that like, it's like you took the time to draw a picture of me in paintbrush. Good for you. And it's funny looking. Yeah. I'm not mad. I don't know. Yeah. What am I, what am I going to be mad about? Highly recommend you guys checking out the hot air balloon meme. It's, it's really funny. It's pretty good. All right. MD Crush says, 2000 Mules the movie. Is it even banned from you, Tim? It's not banned for me. I just didn't see it because it was Mother's Day weekend, and yeah, I don't know. It's like busy weekend. I didn't know what it was till today. Yeah, I heard yeah, that people yeah. could tell me about it. Though. I was, I was, I watched, I was watching clips, so I've, I've seen some clips so far. I saw Rumble experience some sort of attack. I think their official statement was that there was an attack on their servers when it went oh, wow. up. People wanted to stop it from being seen or something. Yeah. Not going to work. All right, MD Crush, as you can see, two thousand mules, the movie on Rumble. That's right. Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says, Tim, Daryl, okay, so there's no fighting fire with fire. Voting may work, but it's months away. Is there any street action that could actually work? Protests? Peaceful? I think that is charging into the enemy's strength. Mm. Peaceful protests? Well, you open yourself up to provocateurs, obviously, things like that. Um, Yeah, it's it's dangerous. Anytime anybody on the right, no matter how moderate, congregates in public you're you're definitely playing with fire for sure yeah what is the goal that they're asking to accomplish winning the culture war in politics that's not specific enough tell me the goal and i think the answer will become evident yeah i guess it depends on the context right like if you think about the parents at those school board meetings that that was pretty effective obviously they tried to come down on them but it's it's having an effect and things have maybe moved a little bit in their direction i think that the right you know it has to be very smart and it sort of use a kind of political jujitsu anytime they do anything. You know, they have to try to take advantage of single points of failure in the enemy's defenses, do things that produce predictable overreactions so that those are the kinds of things you have to do. Because that's a good thing about having a very emotional enemy, you know, a very emotional opponent is you can kind of predict what they're going to do for the most part. And, uh, you know, I think about, for example, I remember – Remember when the Democratic primaries were going on in 2020 and CNN did an LGBT town hall? Cool, fine. 
And uh, you had all the Democratic candidates there, and they kept trotting out these, like, six-year-old, seven-year-old kids. Be like a seven-year-old boy done up in full makeup and a dress, and he's a little trans child, right? And now all the Democrats who were there, they have pollsters, they have you know political advisors who can tell them that 90% of the United States thinks that a six-year-old trans child is, that that's crazy, right? That that's not a winning issue. Every single one of them had to bend the knee and say, I'm so proud of you. This is so amazing. You're doing so great. Even though they know that there are political consequences to that because they have no choice. And there are a lot of issues like that, that if you can draw them out into public, all you have to do is shine a light on them and they'll, they'll melt right before your eyes. All right. Seth Hauser says the baby's body is not the woman's body. I am a conservative. Can you confirm these details, Seamus? Uh, yeah, I would confirm. What, that he's a conservative? Uh, well, I don't, you know, I don't know this individual personally. However, the baby's body is not the woman's body. Really bad video says, did Ian seriously argue that a woman's eggs are alive yet cannot understand what a fetus is? Were not we all born? Mm-hmm. Did not we all require to be a fetus to be who we are today? How was this ever even an argument? Killing babies is not progressive. Um, I do understand what a fetus is and that I do believe the egg is still a piece of living tissue. Oh, yeah, Ian? Name three fetuses. You oh, got snap. me, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, where are we at? D.E. Poland says, Tim, please have on Abby Johnson, ex-planned parenthood director. Seamus should know about her. She's a lot of fun and can really so, uh, speak to abortion. Can you confirm yeah, this? I, I'm, I'm not overly familiar with the work. I do know of her. Yeah, she's she's uh, an ex-planned parenthood director who became pro-life. Oh, yeah, she's great. Brett Tesdall says, I am increasingly convinced that abortion is the Kobayashi Maru of political debates. What is that? Yeah. It was an impossible test in Star Trek. Mm. Mm. It was meant to gauge your your um, like how you would behave under absolute stress. Right. If it drives us to anger and then conflict, we've lost the the point. Mm. Nick says, Ian. He says, Ethan, do you recall the TNG episode where LaForge was stranded with a Romulan who thought he should have been aboard because he was blind? Uh, I don't. If that's where they're in the cave, no, I don't think. I, I saw them all. But I don't off the top of my head. Yeah, and they were like slowly dying. And they were like starving to death or something? No, like something was slowly killing them, was it, or whatever? I don't know. I I always like those when they put two cultures, like opposing cultures together in a room and they're forced to deal with it. Hmm. Atherin Zalas says, consider the rights of future people. There is the booby trap time capsule argument. Do you have the right to rig a time capsule to kill whoever opens it 100 years from now? They aren't born yet. If you open the time capsule now, sucks to be you. Uh, no, hmm. I think that's illegal to make a booby trap of any kind like that. But they're not alive right now. Maybe dead. Like it specifically targets a a unique person's genetics 100 years in the future that you don't know if they'll be born. Well, right. no, like they bury a time capsule. And then when you dig it up and open it, it blows up. opens it for yeah, something crazy. Can happens. you build something that will become a booby trap in 100 years? Hmm. I don't know. That's like like uh, you have some piece of... I don't know, iron that rusts and erodes and then be a wild breaks open. Like, I hate, I don't know what the people of the future are about, but I hate them. (laughs) Well, when the progressives keep saying that the future is going to be progressive, you know, you might get some crazy person who would think something like, I'm going to stop these crazy people. But I guess the philosophical argument is if you can pill, can you kill someone who's not alive today? No, no, you cannot. Well, like then, then why not a fetus? 
Have you guys seen? Well, that? they are alive. Have you guys seen that South Park episode where all the people in the future, there's no more jobs in the future, so they're all immigrating back to the past? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they decide, well, we have to stop this, like you know, this flood of immigration from the future, and so all the men turn gay. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and, then, and then and then it starts working, but then they no no no. Then then they realize if they make the future a better place, it'll stop the immigration. But then they're like. Wait a minute. Why are we doing this? Let's go back to the orgy pile. <laughs> I, I should clarify. You can kill someone that's not born today, although you might end up in prison for it. And it's not <clears throat> no, ethically viable to murder someone, period. This is kind of a crazy I've, – I've never heard this question no, before. It's a, I know. I've never heard that before. That's actually you're fascinating. Dead. I mean, you're dead. It's, it's in a hundred – you, you well, built I'll be something. alive in hundred years. I don't know about you. I think it's cer- I think it's certainly wrong, but it's an it's an interesting question. I like I think it would be certainly be wrong to do it, but it is an interesting question. I've never heard anybody ask that before. It's mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah, because like people that time travel, like would you go back into the past to kill Hitler to, to try to prevent World War Two? I got that question a lot. Imagine about the future. Imagine if like right now someone came from the future. Just like appeared in this room and was like, I have to stop Seamus. And what? we would do everything to protect Seamus. Exactly. Yep. And Get out then, of here, liberal. And then like when we when we catch this guy, he shows us like a digital news file and it's like Seamus is just like ultra Hitler or whatever. No, it wouldn't even be that, dude. If, if like the progressives win, it's going to be the most benign thing ever. It'll be like he one time. It'll be like because I say the word hello and they're like, that's a slur now. We've decided you can't say that or just no, some would- insane cultural shift. No, it, w- it would be benign, but it would be like he, he dem- he's, he's this 50-year-old guy who leads this, the free speech movement. <laughs> you we have to stop it'd be, him. No, it would be, be something I'm doing now that's offensive that I'm not sure. you got to watch out because Looper. I don't know if you guys saw Looper. Oh, I don't, yes, don't yeah. want to spoil, but I'm going to spoil Looper. Uh, so turn it down if you haven't seen it yet. Um, it's the, just the act of trying to kill the kid that turns him into the villain. So don't try and kill Hitler. Baby. But that movie made no sense anyway. Gizmo79 says, Tim, you always forget Generation X. No, I don't. I don't forget Generation X. Generations basically very much skip like millennials were the children of boomers for the most part. There's a gradient overlap. But Gen X, like boomers were like teenagers or like in their late 20s when, uh, well, I guess the problem is the generations can be long enough to overlap. But many millennials are the children of boomers. That's the point. How do you think about generations? Like, I know a lot of people go by years, which I always thought yeah, was. Years. I always think that's kind of a crude way of looking at it. Like, when I think about generations, I think about major changes in society and where you were at mm-hmm. in your stage of life when they happened, right? So, like, when I think of a millennial as opposed to a Gen Xer, like, I, I'm 40. I was born in 81. I, I kind of consider myself like a, a really young Gen Xer for the most part because I remember what the world was like without the Internet. And the people who, like, you know, don't really remember that didn't live any portion of their adult life. I kind of consider millennials, but yeah, I always thought of myself as Gen X. I was born in seventy nine. Millennials were grew up without the internet. Well, they grew up without it, but they didn't and live then, any of their adult lives without it. Right. right. So for millennials, we had rudimentary internet as kids, but it was yeah. like two thousand seven is is the is the um, is the singularity moment when the internet became ubiquitous. Yeah, iPhones and stuff. Exactly. Have you seen that graph that? Uh, um, chewing gum, like revenue purchases from chewing gum in 2007 just went whoop, Whoa. and really? cratered. And the theory that they have behind it is that everybody's playing on their phones in the supermarket line now. It's just as good oh, of a theory wow. as I can come up with. Wow. All right. Justin Barber says, Daryl Davis mentioned Gore Island. I visited there in 2019 and it is a special place. Is it pronounced Goray? <coughs> Goray Island? 360 on YouTube to Go- see an immersive 360 video I shot on the island. Cool. Oh, neat. Yeah, Goray-I, Goray. Yeah. Okay. Phantom, 
Kitsune Zero says, when I traveled SE, uh, when I traveled C, I made an effort to try non-chain places and foods I could never find stateside. I envy Southeast Asia. There you go. I envy Korea and Japan for having so many options. Korea is fun. It was funny. When I was in Korea, they were like Chicago pizza with, you know, like black sauce on it. And I was like, we don't have that. That's, I don't know what that is. And it was like squid ink or something yeah. on the what? pizza or something. Oh, no, like yeah, that's, that's a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You never got squid pizza? <laughs> yeah, squid pizza. <laughs> I've actually had, I've had, I've had squid pizza, mm. calamari on pizza. That sounds delicious. Yeah. That sounds good, yeah. I had Giordano's earlier. Did Giordano's earlier and didn't invite me? <laughs> Why would I, dude? Because I'm the coolest yeah. guy in town. Risto says adulthood has been made to seem undesirable, whereas by prolonging childhood and adolescence with the college experience, we've warped the former progression where it was exciting to enter adulthood. It was a crazy moment for me when I turned 21. I used to play shows, right? <clears throat> and so I would look for open mic nights. I would look for venues that allowed all ages. And the clientele of these places was relatively small because you're dealing with basically 16 to 21 year olds. Because younger than that, they're not really going off by themselves to these places because they can't drive. So I'd go to these venues and I'd play. And then when I turned 21, I was like, oh, I can go to this this other venue. And then all of a sudden, everyone there was like in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And I'm just like, there are so many more different kinds of people now that it was kind of a crazy moment where I was like, wow. It was like like tutorial mode before this. Now it's just so many different kinds of people that I... Everyone was like me, same age, into the same things, listening mm. to the same music. Then you go to a bar and everyone's like all different generations. And it's like, whoa, that was crazy. Yeah, I didn't have that. That's awesome. All right, let's grab some more super chats. Bliss Girl says, can Seamus and Tim please do your Chicago Asking accents? for Chicago accent It's so hilarious there. and we it's can use a laugh. It's actually very you. funny. So this is Tim and I both had to go to speech therapy to not talk like this. <laughs> and the entire reason. So we're actually reverting to our natural way of speaking there. So when you go to Chicago, if you uh, this is a secret. If you order your pizza with Chicago accent here, hey, let me get the pepperoni with the uh, uh, extra cheese, eh? Then they give you free cheese sticks. Go here's the yeah. cheese sticks there, bud. <laughs> yeah, thank you, there. They go like so. You'll walk into a restaurant, and the old big guy be like, "Welcome to Domino's Pizza," and you're like. Hey, I'm just like you. No, no need to put on the accent. I'm like, ah, thank, 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 thank the Lord. I can finally talk like a normal person. Come eh? over here. Come over. He pulls the old style can on the wall and a trap door opens. And <laughs> old style. He throws you one. Time to relax, bud. It's delish. Thank you, there. Hey, uh, uh, while we're here, you need your garage door repaired? Because oh, I, yes. uh, I do garage door repairs. Like, yeah, so do I, though. You guys oh. want to, you guys want to go to Wrigley Phil for a week and watch the Cubbies loose? The Cubs, the Bears, <laughs> Chicago. No one in Chicago, even with a Chicago accent, says Chicago. Chicago, no. It's never. It's not a thing. It's the weirdest thing. That, that's the one thing people Chicago. think they do say they don't say. That they don't say. It's funny because most of the people I know, like my dad, for example, he almost, he like under, like he, he does the opposite of a Chicago accent when he says Chicago. You hear this from a lot of older guys from the city. They'll go like Chicago. It, it's Chicago. The, yeah. They'll, they'll, they, they do not pronounce it like Chicago. No, it's the uh, yeah, yeah, like Chicago. The Chicago A but is the A like sound. A, yeah, so, Yapple, Yapple, Taxi, Taxi. Yeah, it's it's you, you, to do the Chicago the, to do the Chicago A, you got to go E uh Yeah, E uh So Yapple, it's like you start with an E sound. Do you guys I say Warsh? It depends, or but it also like it depends Minnesota on like it's, it's it's also stronger and softer in different areas too. It, it changes like the north side's a little different from the south side. I didn't know I had a Chicago accent when I lived in Chicago because everyone around you talks the same. And then it's not until you leave, people, mm. like, I'll be talking to someone, and they'll go, <laughs> yeppel. 
And then I'll be like, what? And they'll say, you said Yapple. And I'll be like, yeah, I said Apple. And they'll go, no, you said Yapple. Like, really? I said Yapple. What's Apple wrong with saying Yapple? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? I said Yapple. Go to Yapple. You know, you go to Yapple. You get a taxi cab. <laughs> in Chicago. Taxi cab to, to, to the Apple Genius Bear. All right. NYBSFP says, agree with Tim on ST, regardless of what they may have intended on ST. Uh, track. Oh, on Star Trek. Oh. What they showed was people fighting for freedom from a government that eventually nuked them. Who has the nukes? Ooh. China. No. David China. C. Cronk says, Tim, you are talking about the franchise that made Stacey Abrams the president of uh. United Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about ruining a show. You know what the Picard is about? Uh. Q. Have you ever seen Star Trek? Not really. I've seen so, a couple episodes. This, I, uh, I know who Q is. He, he, he transports them to the characters to an alternate timeline where the galaxy is run by an Earth empire of human supremacists. And then Picard's like, we have to go back to the year to the, to the 21st century to stop something from happening that made humans racial supremacists. And like, I stopped watching it. I was just like, off. And then, and then Q was like, back in this time, I had a messaging board where I used to post things about politics to mess with people. <laughs> oh, because don't you understand that the people at that time were racists? Okay, Bill. Q. I went to an antique store and found an unopened Q action figure from like 1992. Needless to say, I bought it. I'm very excited for that purchase. Is that why they called that other message boards Q is from the Star Trek guy? I have no huh. idea. What? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, what, are you, what are you talking about? The no, because I was joking. It's yeah. Q. Yeah. No, that's, what, that's, that's the joke that's, I was making. That's like, it, it means like uh, it's a classification level, they think, or something oh. like that. Yeah. And it's the classification funny. level was based on Star oh, Trek. Makes no, more no, sense. No, no, no. Right, right. Sam Whiter says, Tim, I've commented on this before that Star Trek has predicted the future, and I believe that 2024 will be the deciding year. Since it's been shown in DS9 and Picard. Oh, <gasps> heavens. Dun, dun, dun. Perhaps. Perhaps. Right. Hillary's going to become president and fix everything. <sighs> S.R. Dempsey says, Dragon Distillery and Frederick might be able to help you with your design goals. Design goals for what? Dragon Distillery? Oh, no. Oh, I can it's confirm. Q clearance, Q access authorization, U.S. Department of Energy, security clearance required to access top secret restricted data. I don't know if I believe it. Christopher Shipley says, thank you again, Tim, for coming by 4D Fun Center over the weekend. Also, thank you for explaining how cheap those Tony Hawk boards we had were. Did some research after and marked them as starter boards. Oh. I wouldn't even necessarily call them that. We went to this place called the 4D Fun Center. They had bowling. They had an escape room. We did an escape room. That was a great fun. place. Um, and uh, won a bunch of tickets. Played the, played the arcade games. Played some. Uh, they have a beer pong arcade. Did you fun. do the escape room? Yeah. Did you escape? Yes. Did you escape fast? Uh, I think we had... F- Six minutes left out of a half an hour. You get a half an hour to solve it. But you know what the issue was for us is that we were too smart. We were were, were too smart for our own good. This actually is an issue. So, you know, my brother was trying to point out, don't overthink the puzzles. These are for, like, This is a a mass market thing, yeah. But it's it's like a kid's (laughs) place. Like, so the puzzles are simple. What (laughs) happened? People feel really smart. Like, nice. Well, the puzzles were all like relatively simple, like find the codes. It's like a clock, and it's like a, there's, there's, there's. I don't want to give. I don't want to spoil it. But one of the things is that one of the objects in the room we thought was a code was actually all of the codes, and we didn't realize that that would be the one anomalous thing, and so we couldn't figure it out. We were confused by it, and that took us like ten minutes. Yeah, there were longer ones. There's like hour ones. Yeah, I but did. It, but the door was open the whole time. I did one of those one time, and we were looking like on the bottom side of the radio at the serial number and trying to figure out if it meant anything. And none of it meant anything. It was like you know, right over there. 
Yeah. The, the Daily Wire did an escape room challenge where they mixed and matched people, and then they were competing against other Daily Wire teams, but it was teams, so you got to see them interact and how they were getting stressed with each other, but having fun, too. Well, really I cool. have an idea. I, me and my friend had an idea a long time ago for, for something called the Hacker Games. And the idea is to get a building, secure it in a variety of ways, digital keypad locks, security guards, pin and tumble locks, and then in the top floor in one of the rooms is the MacGuffin. And the goal is to get the MacGuffin without being like being able to break into this building. We would hire security guards, but not tell them it was a show. So we just we hire a security guard and say, you know, don't let anybody in without the proper credentials. You know, but the thing is, it's so easy to get past a security guard. At, you, know, you know, the easiest way to get past a security guard at, at a venue, at least. So here's an example is you just carry a bag of ice. You put a rag in your back pocket, grab a bag of ice, and you will walk right past them, and they will never ask you a question. Hear that, security guards? Eyes open. Yep. Look for those ice guys. So but then what happens if, like, you and all your friends each have ice and rags matter. in your back pocket? If there's like, like, oh, there's just a bunch of guys with ice. If there was, like, two or three guys, and you're carrying trays and ice, you're going to be – and then you walk up to the security guard and go, uh, where do we put the stuff? He's going to be like, uh, try the kitchen. You're going to go, thanks, man. You're going to walk right past them. I was, at a, I was at a venue once. And uh, I had a pass, but they weren't allowing me to go backstage. So I walked. I just the first thing you do is you own the place. So I just walked past the security guard, and then he went whoa 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 whoa, and then he put his hand in front of me. He's like, "Where are you going?" And I was like, "I'm working." And he was like, "No no 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 no, you can't come in here without the right you know pass." And I was like, "I got the pass it's right here. It's on my leg." And he was like, "That pass is not for here." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm at work." And he was like, "Sorry, bro, you can't come in." And I was like, so I went into the. I started walking around. And I saw a guy with the camera. I was like, "Hey, hey come with me. You want to go backstage?" And he's like, "Yeah, come with me." And then we started walking back towards the security guard. Same guy again. And then this time we both walk past. And he goes, yo, yo, I told you you can't come. And then I interrupt him and go, dude, we're working. And he sees the camera guy goes, oh, 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 I'm sorry, dude. And then we walked backstage and hung out. But that's that's the idea for the game. So pick the locks or hack the codes and then try and find your way in. I, I want to do it. We just It requires, you know, getting to that point where we can set it up. So maybe in the next couple of years we'll get something like that going. That would be a bluff skill in Dungeons & Dragons that you passed. I gotta tell you, getting past security guards at corporate functions or at buildings is just like, I don't even understand what the point of having a security guard is, for the most part. Like, for- It's a deterrent. Yeah, I think well, most people are, try. most people are rule followers, so. I, th- I, I, I think it's mostly about like insurance and, mm. um, and, um, having a, a dedicated person for security issues. So if something comes up, they handle the job, but getting past security guard anywhere is just like, I don't know, man. It's easy. Like, you see it in movies all the time. It's like you wait out by the door smoking a cigarette. They open the door, and you go, hey, man, and just walk in. It's like, jeez. All right. Let's see. We'll grab uh, We'll grab one more. Hangover Bear says, you talk about the financial crisis of the 2000s if it, as if it was the only generation to go through one. Talk to the kids that grew up from the mid-70s and mid-80s. Yeah, I mean, what about boomers and the gas shortages and the inflation problem? I mean, everybody. And Vietnam? There was a lot of bad stuff going on. For sure. Uh, those things were, I think, a lot more recoverable when they were over, though. You know, like, think about all of the 1960s college students who, uh, and, and just young people in general, who decided to just take a few years off, go smoke weed out in the countryside and party it up and kind of do their, maybe go out and, like, engage in riots and protests and just be a revolutionary. And then a few years go by, and, yeah, it's time to, like, get my act together and they go off and they finish college and they go get a yeah. job at like a big law firm or something right how many all the weathermen ended up the ones who didn't get arrested for murder ended up going working for big law firms or going yep. to universities whereas it feels like today you know 
you get a, you know, people, these people had felonies on their records and they got done and they went and got jobs at universities. You know, it just feels like much more punitive today if you make mistakes or waste time, you know. All right, everybody, if you haven't already, give that like button a good smashing. Subscribe to this channel. Share the show. If you really do like it, that grassroots marketing is, is, uh, marketing is really, really helpful. We've got some, <coughs> some fun stuff coming up in terms of our culture jamming campaigns. You're going to really enjoy them. Head over to TimCast.com and click the sign up button. Become a member. We're going to have a members only segment going live at about 11 p.m. And uh, we'll be not so family friendly. And, uh, you know, you don't want your kids to watch these shows, but they're a lot of fun, a lot of swearing. So uh, check that out. Again, smash that like button. You can follow the show at Timcast IRL. You can follow me at Timcast basically everywhere. Daryl, you want to shout anything out? Um, check out the podcast, Martyr Made, M-A-R-T-Y-R-M-A-D-E, uh, and The Unraveling with me and Jocko Willink. All right. Got a YouTube channel called Freedom Tunes. We upload a cartoon every single week, sometimes twice a week. I think you guys are going to like what we're putting out this week. Go over there and check it out. Love you. Tim is swinging for the fences. All these he bugs is, yeah. flying around. Gimme, gimme. Hey, <laughs> also, you're Martyr Made on Twitter. If people want to follow you on social media, just throw out. Are you pretty much Martyr Made everywhere? Yes. Guys, I'm going to roll the 100-sided die. I talked about Tim's bluff check earlier. I rolled a 68, and I'm going to give you a wild magic surge for that number now. Oh, boy. It's a 68. Wild magic. Yeah. So... If, if I was a wild mage, which I am, I permanently gain one cantrip. <laughs> a spell such as remove curse can oh. end this effect. So, yes, I'm cursed, but it could be beneficial. We'll find out. Mm. I like this new tradition. I just wanted to add before we left that we were talking about the uh, Reddit thread about ladies getting off these dating apps. And I want to give credit to Aaron McIntyre, who says, periodically progressives reverse engineer healthy sexual behavior mm-hmm. and then act like they've discovered Atlantis. I think that's what we're seeing here. Uh, they do this all the time with families, and they're like being all rebellious and everything. And we're like, yes, this is exactly <laughs> what we've been saying this whole time. Anyway, for more hot takes like that, you guys can follow me on Twitter, minds.com, at sarahpatchlitz, and check me out on sarahpatchlitz.me. We will see you all over at TimCast.com. Thanks for hanging out. Bye, guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.